Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Joshua chapter 7, the book of Joshua chapter 7. We continue our study through the Old Testament. And if you remember our last week in chapter 6, we see victory, uh, battle strategy designed and orchestrated by the Lord. Now, Remember chapter 5 as well, where we see the commander of the army of the Lord. Uh, now we see victory in you know preparation for war in chapter 5. We see victory in chapter 6. Now let's see what happens in verse 1 here, Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things, the accursed things. Now, Remember in Deuteronomy, if you've been walking with, with us for a while, you reflect back and you remember our studies through the prior books and earlier studies. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 25 and 26, Moses told them that idols are accursed things and an abomination. And the Lord says, you know, through Moses, you shall utterly detest it. Now, remember how we made mention that detesting something hits at the individual level. I mean, you, you can't mandate, you know, you must hate this. A person, there's a lot boiled into that. You know, to just a blanket statement of you must detest this. Well, understand, you know, at the individual level, you know, each person has to make a choice. We'll take, you know, anything, alcohol, drugs, sex, in these examples, we'll take drugs, okay? Heroin. Now, just for example, some people love it. Some people hate it. There are arguments against it, which are very valid. You know, you know, not, you know, drug addiction, you know, arguments against it are very valid. You know, I'm not, you know, trying to come off and paint it as like a beautiful picture. But to mandate and say, you know, you must hate this, you must hate that. It impacts individuals at to varying degrees. Some people absolutely detest it. Some people don't. You see? But what about when God says something about it? What about when the Lord says something about whatever it is? Sex, drugs, alcohol, rock and roll, the whole nine yards. You see... Through idolatry, a person gives themselves over into idolatry, which isn't good before the Lord. You know, these are things that are, you know, doorways, stepping stones and doorways into deeper things in a bad way. Now, do you remember in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1, you know, in that same chapter that we referred to where Moses says, you know, you shall utterly detest these idols, which are cursed things and an abomination. But in that very same chapter in verse 1, Moses is explaining when God brings you into the promised land, he specifically tells them, don't let them be your influencers. You see? In that same chapter, in verse 6, he says, you are a holy people. A holy people. You see, just to make a blanket statement of, you know, you shall detest alcohol. You shall detest drugs. You shall, shall detest, 
you know, sex and all these things. When we say sex, understand, you know, within the confines of marriage, sex is beautiful. Outside the confines of marriage, sex, not good. You see, understand that the Lord has his way. He teaches us. He shows us his way of, you know, his not just perspective on things, but just, you know, you know, when we understand the nature and character of our Lord. And that's what's so powerful about our studies, verse by verse, line upon line, uh, precept upon precept, you know, as new covenant believers. And we study the Old Testament because what happens in so doing, we learn more about the nature and character of our Lord, what he likes, what he dislikes. And so when Moses, you know, Moses, as for him, he utterly detests the idols. You know, the Lord says they're an abomination before, and you know, to Moses, they're an abomination. I mean, look at the golden calf, an abomination to the Lord, an abomination to Moses, an abomination to golden calf, an abomination to the Lord, an abomination to Joshua, but not an abomination to the entire camp of Israel at that particular moment. Now, when the Lord made himself known, yes through, yes, through chastisement, and yes, through judgment, and yes, through wrath, then the people learn, okay, you know, we thought the golden calf was okay, now we know that it's not okay, and now they're in the valley of decision. Now, we're going to align ourselves to the Lord. You see, repentance. And so here we are in verse 1 of Joshua chapter 7, and we see that the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. Wow. Remember, we just had victory. Chapter 7, we just had victory. Jericho is fallen. We just had victory. And now we see in verse 1, for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Serah, of the tribe of Judah. You see, somewhere in this lineage, there was a breakdown of parenting. And maybe perhaps a series of missteps that didn't bode well for Achan and Israel. Very interesting how we see it's of the tribe of Judah. You know, because... We know that Jesus Christ, our Lord, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And that's what's so beautiful about restoration. You see moments where like Judah, what's happened, you know, what's happening in the camp of Judah. And then all of a sudden we see restoration in the camp of Judah. It's quite beautiful. But in this particular moment, at this particular time, we just have victory. You know, Jericho is fallen. You know, Israel has a moment of victory. But then now we see how Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed thing because of Achan. The son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah took the accursed things took the accursed things. Now, Moses warned. Moses warned. Now, at this particular moment, Moses is dead, but you know what? Joshua warned. Remember in chapter 6, verse 18, how Joshua says, by all means, abstain from the accursed things. You know, the bright, shiny objects, valuable gold and silver. Now, think of the temptation. 
which leads to abomination. You know, de depending on the choice of an individual. Think of the temptation. When the Lord says to Moses, you know, Moses, you know, these are abominations. You guys shall utterly detest it. For Moses, okay, Lord, you know, you, Lord, you say what you say and I'm on board. You know, Lord, I align myself to you. And yes, these idols, they are also an abomination to me. But for the other people, they have their choice to make. You see, Joshua made his choice. Listen, they're an abomination. He tells the camp, you know, Moses told the camp, Joshua told the camp, listen, by all means, abstain from the accursed things. What he says in chapter six, verse 18, this is Joshua. But now other people have to make their choice. You have the bright, shiny object, the gold, the silver. It's nice and shiny. It's nice and beautiful. Oh, look, this would be so nice for my asset portfolio. This would be so wonderful for my bank account. This would be so wonderful for this. And this would be so wonderful for that. But as for Moses, no, it's an abomination. As for Joshua, no, it's an abomination. As for Phineas, no, it's an abomination. But as for Achan, as for Achan, you see, you can't mandate. You can't mandate and say, this must be a detestable thing. You know, God doesn't make robots. This is a detestable thing for you. No, a person has to make their choice. Now, the Lord says, you know, straight up, this is detestable. This is an abomination. You see, when the Lord makes himself known, you know, the Lord makes himself known in Egypt. Do you remember in our study in Exodus how the Lord made himself known in Egypt? Now, do you remember when he first made himself known, you know, at, at the smaller level? You know, when I say at the smaller level, it increased the degree by which the Lord made himself known. It increased incrementally in the course of time. I mean, turning water into blood, turning water red in color, you know, turning the water into blood is a lot different from the firstborn dying, you see. And incrementally, the Lord makes himself known or made himself known. But he's going to do the exact same thing. When you look at the book of Revelation, he's going to do exact same thing. He's going to make himself known and it will be incrementally. But he already makes himself known through his word. And the word became flesh. Jesus Christ, son of the most high. He already makes himself known. You see, and when he makes himself known, like he did in Egypt, remember the, the, the water blood, everybody in Egypt, oh, you know, no big deal. Remember the wise guys, the, the religious leaders of Egypt, oh, Pharaoh, we can do it too. Look, the God of, the, the God of uh, uh, Moses and Aaron, he makes the blood red. Look, we can do it too. Our gods are powerful. And yes, their gods were powerful. Yes, their gods had ability. Yes, their god could, gods, plural, could perform miracles and signs and wonders. But they were not almighty. They were mighty. But they were not almighty. Do you remember when, you know, the wise guys, the religiously, everybody in Pharaoh's circle, everybody in, in that in that, uh, 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 in that, uh, uh, the, the people, the, 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 the uh, religious people, the religious leaders, the, the priests of their gods and the, the wise guys, so to speak. 
Oh, the God of the God of uh, 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 Moses and Aaron. Look, he's nothing. You know, look, our gods can do it too. No big deal. And you know, they they started to mock uh, 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 Moses and Aaron. And then the next level, you know, the Lord makes Himself known. Next level, He amps it up a little bit. Kind of turns on the heat a little bit. He amps it up, and then all of a sudden, when the hail came, the wise guys, the religious leaders, they say, okay, Pharaoh, listen, our gods cannot do that. There are limitations to the power and ability of our gods, and, you know, our gods can't do it. We can do the the red, we can do this, we can do that, but when it comes to the hail, we can't touch this. No, Pharaoh, their god is greater than our gods. And that was the counsel that was given to Pharaoh. When you read the book of Exodus, if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember. And if you listen to our study through the book of Exodus, you remember. And they started to tell Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let them go. Let Israel go because their God, he, he is almighty. You see, the Lord made himself known. And those very wise guys, those very religious leaders, everybody in the circle around Pharaoh, they were telling Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let them go, let them go, let them go. But Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then the Lord hardened his heart, a form of judgment. You see? But today, I mean, the Lord will make himself known in very similar fashion in the last days. When, you know, we are in the last days, but I mean, the Lord will make himself known in very similar fashion when we get into prophecies of uh, of the book of Revelation, which, I mean, if you listen to our prophetic studies, our studies through the prophetical books, you listen to our study through the Thessalonian letters, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, not a lot. Not a lot that needs to happen. Not a lot. We're very close to the beginning of the 70th week of Daniel. Very close. Very, very close to the beginning of the 70th week of Daniel. And in that time frame, very specific, according to scripture, all hell will break loose. Now listen to the studies, you'll understand certain uh, 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 road signs, events that need to happen. But the Lord makes himself known today. And what's so beautiful when the Lord makes himself known, I mean, when we get into the book of Revelation, and we, I mean, like the, not the study of the book of Revelation, but actually living through the book of Revelation in these last days. And just as the Lord made himself known in Egypt, think about all the people that have their gods today in these last days. Think about all the people that have their gods. They worship Buddha. They believe in Mary. They believe in the Krishnas. They believe in whatever. They believe in the occult. They believe in their crystals. They believe in their chakras. They believe in, you know, all these false doctrines. You have replacement theology. You have Calvinism. You have reformed theology. You have all these false doctrines. You have the money preachers. You have, you know, uh, chari- ultra charismatic, name it and claim it. The, the, uh, 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 the, the, the money preachers. You have all kinds of different factions. You have the uh, new apostolic reformation. There's, 
emergent church, there's Hillsong, there's everything under the sun, and everybody has their belief system, and yes, those gods do have certain levels of power, but they are not almighty. And that's one of the most beautiful aspects of the last days, is when the Lord makes himself known, people are going to hold on to their gods and their belief system, but then in the course of time, should they survive, Remember, you know, we who are alive and survive our study in, 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 in the Thessalonian letters. They're going to be in the valley of decision as well, just like the wise guys of Egypt, the religious leaders of Egypt. Oh, Pharaoh, don't worry. Look, they can do the blood. They can make the water blood. Look, our gods can do it too. And then the hell came and they're like, hold the phone. We can't do that. Our gods cannot do that. No matter how much we pray, no matter how much we worship, there are limitations. There are, you know, caps to the, the, the power and ability of our gods. And then all of a sudden, they were the ones who told Pharaoh and their counsel to Pharaoh was, listen, Pharaoh, their God, he is almighty. He is God. Don't mess with him. You see? And that's what's going to happen in the last days. People are going to be praying to Mary, to Mary, to Mary, to Mary. All of a sudden, they're going to be in the valley decision like, you know what? Mary's getting me nothing. Buddha's getting me nowhere. You see? Replacement theology? That's that's a lie from the pit of hell because look what's happening. They're going to see it. They're going to live it in real time. They have their uh, ref reformed theology where what's happening in Calvinism and Reformed theology is you have pastors who say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. Now, if you're Calvinist, if you're Reformed, I love you, but listen to our study. It's called Do Not Take the Mark of the Beast, and you'll hear the Reformed pastor, study Bible guy, he says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved, which is a lie from the pit of hell. And all these people, they're going to be Reformed theology, Calvinist, Mary, you know, Buddha, Krishna, money preacher. They're going to have all their influence, and, you know, and their gods, they do have a level of power, but, but they are not the Almighty. And as the Lord makes himself known, they're going to have a choice to make. Do I stay where I am or do I jump ship and align myself to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as he makes himself known? That's why you hear us today. We say jump ship. Jump ship. I mean, why wait for the destruction? Jump ship now. And if that's you, you're listening and you want to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior or align yourself to the God of the Bible. Remember, the disciples asked Jesus Christ, what is the sign of your coming? He says there's going to be many false teachers propagating many Christs. There will be many Christs. How will we know the real Jesus? Well, the Bible says his word is above his name. Everything must align to the truth of God's holy word. Genesis to Revelation. Sometimes people, you know, tell, you know, I, I make this argument with the non-believers and sometimes even believers. They say, well, you know, the, uh, the Bible's so messed up with and people took away and people added and did all these things. But what they assume and presume, which, you know, that there is a sin of presumption, but that's beside the point. They say, well, you know, the people have they added in the Bible that we have today. You know, they should be this. It should be that. But 
what they presume is that people have power over the Lord. Do you remember when Pilate and Jesus and, you know, Pilate looks at Jesus and says, I have the power to release you. I have the power to set you free. And Jesus Christ looks at him and says, you have no power over me. You have no power over me. Now, Pilate was in a position of authority. Carnally speaking, I meant the audience and people looking and seeing it, they would think, wow, Pilate has authority over him. But Jesus is telling him, you have no power over me. Pilate, presuming that he has authority over Jesus, he even says, I have authority over you. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. You have no authority over me except that which is given to you by my Father in heaven, the Almighty. You see, the Bible that we have today is the Bible that the Lord wants us to have. The Word became flesh, Genesis to Revelation. You see? People say, well, there's the book of Thomas, you know, there's uh, 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 these, you know, the, the book of Enoch and all these things. But when you look at, you know, I'm not saying let's go out of the Bible, but I'll say this. When you go outside the Bible, knowing that the word became flesh, you are going outside of Christ. And people get mad at me all the time when I say that. How dare you say that? Look, listen, the Catholic Church and, you know, they study the book of Enoch in their writings. They do the book of Enoch. They do the Apocrypha. Okay. All you got to do is proof is in the pudding. Look at the fruit of it. Look at the Catholic Church. You mean to tell me that the Catholic Church is sound doctrine? Because it ain't. Why? Well, look at the steps that they went outside of the Bible. Outside of the truth of scripture. Well, we got the book of Enoch. We got the Apocrypha. We got all these other books. Oh, it's old school. It's written in Latin. That's nice. We look at Hebrew and Greek. See? And so sometimes when I have these conversations with people, oh, you know, why do you want me to look at the Bible when it's been, it's so outdated, it's been changed, it's been altered, but what they presume, and if that's you, I love you, but what you presume, which, you know, there is a sin of presumption. Just saying. What you presume is that man has authority over the Lord. And just like Jesus says to Pilate, you have no authority except that which is given to you by my Father. Listen, your Father in heaven has the Word of God Genesis to Revelation. And in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh. It's Jesus Christ. Genesis to Revelation. No Thomas, no Apocrypha, no Enoch. Straight up Genesis to Revelation. Now, ball's in your court. Now you have a choice to make. And I love you. I don't say this to hurt your feelings. Even though truth hurts feelings. And if you're in that situation, very simple, repent, 
and receive Jesus Christ. I mean, if that's you and you're like, well, you know, I, you know, I thought the same that you know that the Bible's been changed and altered in this and that. What, what you presume, which is a sin, the sin of presumption. I mean, when you listen to our study through uh, Leviticus and Exodus, you'll understand more about that. But it is written. That means, if that's you, that means you're in trouble. Because the wages of sin is death. You see? Now you need a covering. Life for life. Life for life. Life is in the blood. You see? It's to believe in Jesus Christ and receive Him as Lord and Savior. And when that happens, which, you know, it's a choice. It's not a mandate. It's a choice. God doesn't make robots. Just like, you know, you shall detest the, uh, you shall utterly detest the accursed things which are an abomination. Well, you know, for Moses, it was detestable to him. For Joshua, detestable for him. For Phineas, detestable to him. Achan? That's nice and shiny. Nice and shiny. Wow, I like that. That'd be good for my bank. Wow, look, this would be nice for my asset portfolio. And wow, I'd like to have this in my portfolio. And oh, look, it would be well for me. You see? The ball was in Moses' court. He chose wisely. The ball was in uh, 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 Joshua's court. He chose wisely. The ball was in Achan's court. He chose stupidly. You see? And if that's you, you want to commit your life to Jesus Christ right here, right now. Hit pause. Listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. You commit your life to Christ. You come back. You listen. We grow together. And we continue on in our journey, growing and maturing together. I never want to come off as like, oh, you know, I'm preaching at you. I'm preaching at you. Listen, we're in the same boat. I mean, provided you've jumped ship and you're in the, in, the, in the boat. We're in the same boat. You, me, we grow together. We mature together. We grow in Christ together. We continue on this journey. You say, journey where? Paradise, my beautiful friend. Paradise, my beautiful brother. Paradise, my beautiful sister. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. Paradise. That's where we're going. There's a very specific formula, very specific blueprints, very specific instructions, which aren't hard at all. They're very easy. Very easy. I mean, Jesus Christ says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why? Why would he complicate it? He doesn't complicate it. You know what complicates it? Man, people, stupidity, servants of Satan, they complicate it. But it's so simple. Ultra simple. Very, like, two plus two is easier. All right, or it's easier than two plus two. You see, you commit your life to Christ. And, you know, if you're wishy-washy, if you're lukewarm, jump ship. That's not good. Remember, Jesus Christ says, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I will vomit you out inside the body, now outside the body. So when we say if you're lukewarm, you know, sometimes people, oh, I'm offended, I'm offended. Well, that's also prophecy because in the last days, people will be offended. It's one of the prophecies of the last days. Everybody's offended. Everybody's offended. Now, in this, in these last days, you have the highest concentration of the snowflake generation. We're living in prophetic times. The highest concentration of the snowflake generation. You look at the millennials, you look at Gen Z. And if that's you, if you're millennial Gen Z, I love you. But, you know, listen, proof is in the pudding. I call it like I see it. 
the highest concentration of snowflakes. Now, what does the Bible say? In the last days, everybody's going to be offended. What do we see today? Everybody's offended. You see? It's very powerful. When we understand the truth of Scripture and what the truth of Scripture teaches. And see, the Lord makes himself known through his word today. And he's going to make himself known incrementally. Things are going to intensify as he makes himself known. And they will intensify through plagues. Just like what happened in Egypt. But don't forget, in Egypt, there was Goshen. It was the camp of Israel. And in the last days, there will be a camp of Goshen. It's where the remnant is found. Safety. Safety. So here we are in Joshua 7. Still in verse 1. And you have Achan. It is written. Remember the Torah, it's written. They got the scrolls. The, the writing of Moses, you shall utterly detest the accursed things. They are an abomination. Joshua made his choice. Moses made his choice. Moses, you know, he's no longer living at this particular moment, but he made his choice and he told the people, listen, this detestable, I detest it, you detest it too. Joshua, you know, I detest it, you detest it too. He says in Joshua chapter 6 verse 18, by all means abstain from the accursed things. But Achan, the ball was in his court too. He didn't detest Achan took in verse 1 of the accursed things. Now, remember, God is reactionary. God is reactionary. So, look what happens here in verse 1. So, the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now, it doesn't say the anger of the Lord burned against Achan. No, burned against the children of Israel. One person's disobedience. One person's disobedience, it hits the entire camp. Now, you look at, consider the lineage of Achan, Carmi, Zabdi, Zera, the breakdown of parenting impacts the entire camp. This is just Achan. I mean, you have the entire camp of Israel. Notice in verse 1, but the children of Israel committed a trespass. He doesn't say, Achan committed a trespass. He says the children of Israel committed a trespass. One person's disobedience. You see? And it impacts the entire camp of Israel. Consider the church. Consider the church. I wonder how many Achans are in the church today. When the children of Israel committed a trespass, you see, and it, it, the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel, you say, well, wait a second, it's just one person. It's just one person. You see, church today, it's not a social club. Even though pe people treat it like a social club, the Bible never, ever says it's a social club. Only in one scenario. And that scenario is Laodicea. Church is a social club. And in Laodicea, what do we also see? You don't see Jesus on the inside. 
You see Jesus on the outside. Wrong formula. You see? You remember Paul in Corinth? When he says to the saints, when he says to the believers, he says, your rejoicing isn't good. Now, why would Paul tell Christians that their rejoicing isn't a good thing? Why? Now, if you've been walking with us for a while, you know exactly why. If you've listened to our study through the Corinthian letters, you know exactly why. Their rejoicing wasn't a good thing because there was sin in the camp. The sex, the alcohol, the extortion, all kinds of works of the flesh, it was inside the camp. Now, to have the works of the flesh inside the camp, we make these distinctions and understand that happens among the babies. Now, when I say babies, I don't mean like crawling on the ground babies. I, I, I mean, you know, like literally. When I, when I say babies, I mean the babies in Christ, the babes in Christ, young believers, novice, the brand new believers. You're going to see works of the flesh among the, the new believers. I think I might have said non-believers. I'm not talking about non-believers. I'm talking about believers, but brand new believers. They're freshly believed in Jesus Christ. Now, if that's you, if you if you hit pause and you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ, and you, you commit your life to Christ, and you come back, we listen, we grow together. Now, what happens? Understand, you are a baby in Christ. Not a bad thing. It can be a bad thing if you refuse to grow and mature. Then it can be a bad thing. But it is lovely to be a baby in Christ. But just like we see in the flesh, just like we see according to Adam, babies grow, babies mature. And in the course of time, in the faith, you also, you grow, you mature. The problem with Corinth is that wasn't happening for three years. Three years. Emphasis on three years. Arrested development. There was no spiritual maturity. There was no spiritual development. It was arrested. Why? Well, now you look at the defunct pastors, the defunct elders, the defunct leadership in Corinth. And so three years of arrested development and then Paul writes a letter, you know, he found out through Chloe, beautiful, beautiful, lovely warrior, Chloe, hardcore. And then, you know, those in Chloe's household, they alert Paul, Paul, there's this stuff going on in the church. And then Paul writes a letter and says, listen, you guys, your rejoicing isn't good. You see, because of the Aikens in the church, the Aikens in the church. With the sex, with the alcohol, with the extortion, and all kinds of works of the flesh that were uncorrected by the defunct pastors. Remember, only the clean can clean. Defunct pastors, they're not clean. Which means they can't clean. Which means the church is in trouble. You see? And then Paul says, your rejoicing isn't good. And then he says, separate. He's speaking to the remnant and he says, okay, everybody, remnant, separate from these people, not even to eat with such a person. Why? Because there's leaven in the camp. A little leaven leavens the bunch. You have Aikens in the camp. Separate. 
you see? And here in Joshua 7, we have the entire camp of Israel defiled by just one person, the choices of just one person, Achan. What about the church today? What about the church today? Little sex here, little drugs here, little alcohol here, little Buddha over here, tell my little white lies over here, little Krishna over here, little Mary over here, some Ouija board over here, some gambling over here, the casino, all these works of the flesh. Where are the pastors? Where are the pastors to say, hey, this isn't good. Hey, repent, repent, repent. Where are the pastors? The majority of the time, the pastors themselves, they've corrupted themselves. The majority of the time, the pastors themselves are compromised. And through compromise, which is a choice, through compromise, they are unable to clean. And if they're unable to clean, what do we see? The church is in trouble. You see? Look at how here in the camp of Israel, through the choice of one man, Achan, who took of the accursed things, the children of Israel committed a trespass in verse 1. And also in verse 1, the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. You see, the impact that one person's choice had on the entire camp. Now, in verse 1, we see what God sees. Because Achan's choice to disobey is unbeknownst to anyone. Remember, chapter 6, victory. Jericho has fallen. Jericho's victory because, you know, war footing. You know, the book of Joshua is like a war footing. And we see in this war footing, the second generation who's passing into the promised land, fulfillment of all these beautiful promises unto Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in verse 1, we get a picture of what God sees. Because unbeknownst to anybody in the camp is what Achan has done. In taking the accursed thing, something that is an abomination before the Lord. You see? Now we look at verse 2. Remember, Joshua doesn't know. The elders don't know. Israel doesn't know. The only one who knows is Achan and the Lord. Now Joshua in verse 2. Sent men from Jericho. Now, remember in chapter 6, Jericho just fell. We're fresh after the victory of Jericho. Fresh after the victory of Jericho. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which translates as ruin, as overturned and perverse. And so Joshua, he sends men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth Aven. Now, this translates, Beth Aven, it translates as house of vanity, trouble, sorrow, and wickedness. So, Remember, we have the Jordan River and you go, you know, as far west as you can go to, you know, you have the ocean. 
So, so you cross the Jordan River, you have Jericho, and then you know you go, you go, you have the Jordan River. You know the second generation that crossed the Jordan. Remember, twelve stones and twelve stones, twelve and twelve. Remember, we studied that a couple weeks ago. Twelve and twelve, twelve stones out, twelve stones in. Now, you go further out, and you get Jericho. Jericho has just fallen, chapter six. And so now from Jericho, you go further west to Ai. And we see here that in verse 2, that is, which is beside Beth Aven, on the east side of Bethel. So we go further west, but not as far west as Bethel. And Bethel is house of God. Remember, we studied that in, in uh, if you've been walking with us for you know a while, you remember our study through Genesis. Bethel. And so Joshua... He says, and spoke to them. So Joshua, to he's speaking to these uh, the, the men that he sends out. And it's another recon mission. Another recon team. They just finished the, 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 the battle of Jericho. And Israel is victorious. And now Joshua is speaking to another recon team. Hey, scope out Ai. And he says here in verse 2, he says, saying, Go up and spy out the country. And you see here the obedience of the men. So the men went up and spied out Ai. Everything's fine and dandy. You know, it's like, wow, we just had victory in Jericho. And, you know, remember chapter one, the Lord says, hey, you know, I'm with you. Don't be, you know, be strong and courageous. Don't fear because I am with you. That's what the Lord says to Joshua. And Joshua, picture Joshua on, on cloud nine, so to speak. He's just so full of joy. It's okay, we're in our war footing, the Lord is with us, and kings, they're not going to be able to stand before us, and you know, we're on our war footing, we're the second generation, our, our parents, they made their bad choices, and here we are in the aftermath of that, and in the form of the Lord's chastisement, and you know, Joshua made his choice, the, 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 the uh, detestable things, the, the, the accursed things are an abomination, okay, they're an abomination, they, the bulk of the people have made their choice. Everything is on point, seemingly. Everything is on point, seemingly. Except two people know what's really going down. Achan and the Lord. You see? Israel isn't just on war footing and battle feeding. They're also on victory footing. They've experienced victory in war. Jericho has fallen. Very specific blueprints that the Lord gave to Joshua. And now we see that the walls of Jericho have fallen. The household of uh, 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 Rahab is safe. And now it's like, okay, we're, we're advancing. And Joshua says to the recon team, hey, go out and spy out the country. Now look what happens in verse 3. And they return to Joshua. So the recon team returns and gives the sit rep to Joshua. Just like we studied in chapter 2, the, the, the recon team. You know, they return to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up to attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. Do you see what's happening here? Recon team goes to Ai. They come back. They report, "Oh, they're just the little guys. They're not a lot. They're not. They're not the big guys like the Canaanites. They're just little guys. Piece of cake. We can take this. We can handle them." 
piece of cake. We don't even need to spend, send all, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands, just two or three thousand. That'll be just fine. Piece of cake. They're little guys. Instead of, you know, the big humongous arms and the big humongous thighs and the big humongous chest and the big humongous war, you know, people who's, you know, their, their, their little pinky is the size of my torso. Instead of those guys like we see in canon, no, these guys are pipsqueaks. Pipsqueaks, they're just little guys. Their arms are, their arms, you know, their, their arms are like my pinky. Instead of my torso being like their arms, the, the, the Canaanites, no, they're, they're just little pipsqueaks. We got it. The recon team comes back and gives a report. We don't need to send everybody. We don't need to just just two or three thousand. That'll be just fine. Now, Joshua, he has no reason to doubt the recon team. Their intel is valuable along with their recommendations. He has no reason to doubt. Remember, chapter one, the Lord told him, I'm with you. I'm with you. That's what the Lord says. Fear not. Be strong and courageous. I'm with you. Recon team comes back, gives a report. Joshua has no, no reason to doubt the intel. And so look at verse 4. So about 3,000 men went up there. From the people. So recon team comes back. They report to Joshua. And then Joshua says, okay, we're going to do 3,000 men. Okay, you 3,000 guys, go up to Ai and take Ai. From Jericho to Ai, 3,000 guys, but, in verse 4, but, 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 they fled before the men of Ai. Defeat. 3,000 men. The recon team says, oh, no. 2 to 3,000, that'll be fine. The people of Ai are few, piece of cake. We got this. And now all of a sudden, this advanced team of warriors, the advanced party of warriors, 3,000. Now they're fleeing before the men of Ai. Israel suffers defeat on the battlefield. Ai's numbers are few. And Israel suffers defeat on the battlefield. In verse 5, and the men of Ai struck down about 36 men. So it's not just that these warriors of Israel are fleeing. Israel also takes casualties. Now they take casualties. The men of Ai struck down about 36 men in verse 5. For they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim. Shebarim here translates as bruised and crushed. Bruised and crushed. Very interesting what we see happening here. Now, don't forget that this horizontal plane, when you look at the map, this horizontal plane which crosses the Jordan, a connecting flow from two firmaments of seas, one called Dead, the other called Galilee. And on this plane which forms a cross between firmaments, we see Shebarim, which is bruised and crushed. Well did Isaiah prophesy. In Isaiah 53 verse 5. Pointing to the Messiah. Jesus Christ. 
bruised for our iniquities. An Old Testament example of a future fulfillment in Christ. Future prophecy of Christ and future fulfillment of Christ, the Messiah. Bruised for our iniquities. So here in Jeremiah or in Joshua 7, in verse 5, we see that Israel is on war footing, but they're no longer on victory footing. They're on war footing and defeat footing. And not just defeat, you know, fleeing away, but they've taken casualties. 36 men, about 36 men, the text says. In verse 5, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. You see, Israel suffers defeat and casualties. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Now you have discouraged in the heart in the camp of Israel. Understandably so. I get it. I completely understand. What's happening? I mean... Put yourself in Joshua's sandals for a moment. In Joshua 1, Lord, you, you said you were with me. Put yourself in Joshua's sandals. Lord, you said you were with me. Do you remember? It, it was very difficult to study, to, to, uh, uh, to teach on Joshua 1. Very, very difficult. Because you have beautiful, beautiful promises of the Lord unto Joshua. But then we make reference of, you know, the, the, the poster verses, the magnet verses. And I hate doing that. I don't like doing that. I don't like thinking about verses as a mere poster or verses as a mere magnet. But I say it because it needs to be said. Because sometimes we treat verses as mere magnet verses. Something, oh, this sounds nice and flowery. Be strong and courageous. I'm with you. Okay, I'm going to put this on my, on my, on my refrigerator. Little magnet tear. Oh, be strong and courageous. I'm with you. Oh, this sounds beautiful, nice and flowery. I'm going to make a wall, put it on the wall. You know, a nice little sign on the wall. Be strong and courageous for I'm with you. Oh, look, I got a little, my little, uh, my little, uh, wristband. You know, it says be strong and courageous for I'm with you. Oh, look, it's such a beautiful verse. And yes, it is a beautiful verse. But remember, text, context, and co-text. Because it is also written. Just like we see in verse 1, the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Why? Why? Now, remember, we know Achan, he took of the accursed things he took. But at this particular moment in verse 5, Israel, they don't know. Joshua, he doesn't know. The recon team, they don't know. The 3,000 men, they don't know. All they know is that they suffered defeat. All they know is that they took casualties. But does that sound familiar Because sometimes 
we lean on the promises of God, which is beautiful. Every single one of us should lean on the promises of God. But we like to forget the it is also written. Israel, they have victory in Jericho, but they have defeat in Ai. Did God change his mind? Not at all. Remember, God is reactionary. You remember our study in in in, in Numbers and Deuteronomy when you know the, the, the Lord says, Hey, you know, go and attack Canaan. Because you're going to be victorious. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he says. If you remember, if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our study through Numbers. You know, go go and attack the Canaanites. You'll be victorious. Go. And the people were afraid and they didn't go. And then Moses says, okay, because you disobeyed the Lord, now instead of 11-day journey, now it's 40 years. And then when they heard that, they said, okay, now we're going to go now. And then the Lord says, Moses, tell the people, don't go. Now, in one chapter, the Lord says, go. In the same chapter, the Lord says, don't go. Did the Lord change his mind? No. Oh, how can that be so? Because the Lord says, go. And then the Lord says, don't go. And you're saying he doesn't change his mind? Absolutely. I'm saying the Lord doesn't change his mind. What I am saying is that Israel changed their heart. You see, when the formula was right in Israel, the Lord says, okay, go. But because they didn't go, their disobedience in not going. Carnally speaking, Israel Israel is the same. Spiritually speaking, they're different. The formula is wrong. You see, the formula was right. The Lord says, go. But then through fear, fear changed the formula. Fear changed the formula. And then the Lord says, Moses, tell the people, don't go. See, the Lord didn't change his mind. Because there are promises of the Lord. But the formula must be right. And it's beautiful for all of us to lean on the promises of the Lord. But the formula, 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 formula must be right. You see? Understand that God is reactionary. Disobedience alters formula. I mean, if you take... Somebody like, we'll say little Timmy, beautiful, beautiful little Timmy, not as little Timmy, not as little cub Timmy. Now you take him as bear Timmy. Now he's, you know, grown and mature. Now he's in a pastor capacity. Paul is pouring into him as pastor. The formula is right in him. And senior pastor Paul says to junior pastor Timothy in our pastoral epistles, you know, listen to our studies in the pastoral epistles, you'll understand more. Introduction to the pastoral epistles and then also, you know, first Timothy and then, you know, study these pastoral epistles that we're just so happy to be studying these on Sundays. But Paul, inspired of the spirit, says to Timothy, the law is not for a righteous person. He says, you know this, Timothy, you know that the, for we know, he says, that the law is not for a righteous person, but the law is for the insubordinate, for the ungodly, all kinds of wickedness, he lists. And he says, and if there's anything contrary to sound doctrine, that's what the law is for. 
That's what the law is for. You see? In Timothy, formula is right. In Paul, formula is right. Leaning on the promises of the Lord, beautiful. Everything's on point because the formula is right. And so many times as Christians, we like to have the the poster verses, the magnet verses. And I hate saying that because we shouldn't treat them as magnets and posters. But it happens inside the camp of the church. Even Joshua. The Lord told him, be strong and courageous. I'm with you. But now, when the 3,000 warriors who just had victory in Jericho, I mean, some of you veterans, you know, combat veterans, you know what that feels like to have victory, uh, you know, in a certain theater of combat. And then you go into the, you know, on the next mission, you go into the next theater of combat and it's like, you know, you have the, you know, tempos of warfare and it's like victory upon victory upon victory upon victory. But put yourself in Israel's sandal, you know, the victory footing. Wow. You know, the praise of the Lord, you know, you know, we have this victory. Jericho is fallen. And, you know, all of a sudden we're just going to send 3000 guys because I eat, you know, piece of cake. They're just the little guys. They're not a lot. 3000. We're good to go. And all of a sudden they come back. They, they don't just come back. No, they fled. They fled and they took casualties. Now you see why, you know, they lost heart. They, they, at the end of verse five, therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. What's happening? Joshua, I thought you said the Lord was with us. Even Joshua wondering, what happened, Lord? I thought you said you were with us. I thought you said you were with me. And Joshua is learning even more about formula. Formula, 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 formula. It's got to be right. And all these forms of disobedience which alter the formula. There is a very specific formula of righteousness, a very specific formula of holiness, a very specific formula of godliness. Very specific. The flesh, disobedience, it alters the formula. And when the formula is altered, hearts change. And when hearts change, promises of the Lord cannot be effectuated. The Lord doesn't change his mind. People change their heart. You see? Holiness before the Lord. In Joshua 7, one guy, Achan, one guy's decision to take of the accursed things, something that the Lord says is an abomination. And Achan says, wow, that's bright and shiny. I want that. Oh, that'll be nice for my portfolio. That'll be nice for my bank account. Oh, I want that. 
And now look. Israel has casualties now. Death. 36 men. About 36 men. Could be 37. Could be 38. Could be 34. But about 36 men. Dead. Why? Aiken's choice. We have to have things in proper perspective here. So look at verse 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord. This is so beautiful. I love this so much. Notice the behavior of the godly seeking the Lord. Now remember all this, the, the decision of Achan is unbeknownst to Joshua. Nobody knows, just Achan and the Lord. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. You see, for a long time. On his face before the Lord. And he's not alone. He and the elders of Israel. Understand, leadership matters. Leadership matters. It just so happens that we're in the pastoral epistles on our Sunday studies. It just so happens that we're learning about leadership in the church. It just so happens that we're learning about formula in leadership in the church. What pastors do you know are on the face before the Lord? On behalf of the saints, on behalf of the camp of the church. What pastors do you know? Were the carpet changes color because of their tears. What pastors do you know? What elders do you know? Who are on their face before the Lord on behalf of the camp? Not just a quick prayer. You know, you see the quick prayers, you know, a little 10 second job. No, all night long. What leaders? What leaders do that? And not the ones who are on social media and say, oh, look, we're prayer warriors. And look, and they, you know, have their watch. Oh, look, it's, you know, 5 p.m. and we're starting our prayer. And look, we're hardcore. It's 5.30 and we're, we're finishing our prayer. Oh, look, we've been, we're such prayer warriors for 30 minutes. They do, you know, little social media. Everybody's hair is done nicely, you know, and they got their Bibles open. Oh, look, we're godly men. Look how awesome we are. I'm not talking about those fools. I'm talking about the real. Holiness. Where only the Lord sees and he knows. And see Joshua and the elders of Israel, you see their behavior of godliness seeking the face of the Lord. And I love it so much. And you know what's interesting? When we get into Joshua, and we mentioned this already in our chapter one study of Joshua, but when we get, when we get into Judges, when you get into Judges, you see Joshua, he's an old man, the elders, they're old guys, and they die. And then when they die, you see, Israel becomes adulterous. They turn their back on the Lord. You see, leadership absolutely matters. Godliness. And so you see here in verse 6 of Joshua 7, in verse 6, 
and they put dust on their heads. Now, this is a the covering of dirt, which is a sign of mourning. It's not a happy time. It's not a happy time. Sometimes, you know, people give remarks. Oh, you're so doom and gloom. Look, we're Christians. We should be happy. Look, we're believers. We should be happy. Look, we have the blessed hope. We should be happy. Prophetically speaking, Jesus says, times of sorrows. Time of mourning. Yes, there's the joy of the Lord. Absolutely, there's the joy of the Lord. But remember, we make the distinction between field and workers. And among the workers, even among the field too, the remnant, but among the workers especially, it's not a happy time. The happy time is absolutely coming, but it's not yet. What's coming, a time of sheer bliss is coming. But it's not yet. That's not to say we can't have moments of joy. Absolutely. But by and large, it's a time of great sorrows. All you have to do is look around. I mean, do you think Chloe was full of joy of what she saw in Corinth? No, there was the, the, uh, the refuge for her and those in her home. There was refuge, just like we see with Rahab and those in her home. There was refuge, but do you think they're rejoicing at the state of the church of Corinth? It's not to say that they can't rejoice, but through restoration and how the Lord cleans house, the formula has to be right in the saints. And because of the decision of saints, Paul says to the remnant saints, he says, okay, separate from the leaven. And now that you're separated from the leaven, now let's get you cleaned up. And now that we got you cleaned up, now you, you, you rejoice. And now there's the love feast. You see? Not, you don't see the love feast in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's later among the remnant. You see? And then you get into 2 Corinthians and it's like, okay, these people who, who, who you know, the, 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 these people among the, uh, uh, among the leaven, now he says, if they've repented, bring them back in. Welcome them back in. You see, it's a time where, you know, this, the, 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 the being separate from the leaven, the, the leaven has a choice at that time. Their hearts can get harder or their hearts can get softer. That's between them and the Lord. It's a matter of repentance. Now they, some have repented, they repent, and, and then their heart is nice and soft again. And Paul says, 2 Corinthians, now bring them back in. Bring them back into the camp. See, restoration. The leaven isn't the same. But then also, the remnant isn't the same. Because now they have a deeper understanding to prevent this. Now, instead of the leaven being the influencer, now it's the remnant that is the influencer. Standing firm. Then you get towards the end of 2 Corinthians and Paul says, I'm afraid for you guys. 
Because the servants of Satan, the preacher guys are going to come in. They look like preachers, but they're servants of Satan. They're going to come with another gospel, another spirit, and another Christ. And he says, you guys are going to put up with it. You see? Do you think Paul's full of joy? He's full of joy, you know, when, you know, the love feast for the remnant. Full of joy that there's, you know, former leaven who have repented and are, you know, welcomed back into the church. Yes, there's these, you know, glimmers of joy. But remember to the overseers and in, 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 at the Miletus meeting, the, 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 the elders of Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, Paul says, after my departure, he says, I know that after my departure, ravenous wolves are going to come in. Even from among yourselves, ravenous wolves are going to come in. After my departure. Do you think he's happy about that? Do you think he's joyful about that? Yes, there's moments of joy. This fellowship. Remember they 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 put their they they put them they're, 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 they kissed his neck like they bowed down and they kissed his neck and they were sad. And when you read Acts 20, it's like it's such a beautiful moment. Yes, there's joy in the fellowship of the saints, but the heart of Paul, do you think he's happy knowing that after his departure he knows that the wolves are gonna come in? Not sparing the flock. Do you think he's full of joy? You see? Do you think Timothy's full of joy? Do you think Peter's full of joy? Do you think John is full of joy? Do you think James and Jude are full of joy? They have moments of joy. But the workers understand, wow, we have a job to do. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Wow, we have a job to do. To clean, and once clean, to stay clean. You see? Get the sheep, get the lambs. We got to get them clean. We got to get, you know, get, 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 get nice and clean. And now that they're nice and clean, now we got to stay clean. You see? And so beautiful because in the camp of Israel here in Joshua 7, you see the exact same thing. Joshua and the elders on their face before the Lord. Joshua tore his clothes, a sign of mourning. Like, you know, he has his covering and then all of a sudden no covering. He tore his clothes. Notice he changes and put the dust on their head. Now their covering is dirt. It's a time of mourning. So why are you so sad, Joshua? We just, we just were victorious in Jericho. Why are you so sad, elders? We were just victorious in Jericho. But there's Ai. Now we suffered defeat, and not just defeat, now we have 36 casualties. You see? Pastors, elders, to be on your face before the Lord. And I have an exhortation for elders, the godly ones. If you're ungodly, according to formula, step down, repent. Seek the face of the Lord, repent, get yourself right with God, or burn in hell. That's for the elders. If you're not an elder, you know, you know, cover your ears, but for the elders, the godly ones, for the ungodly ones, repent or burn in hell. Step down. But my exhortation for elders is for you, beautiful men of God, Godly, godly men. 
to handle the affairs of the church as overseers, godly overseers, caring for souls that you want to be in paradise because your master wants these souls in paradise with him and you're obedient to the master. Free up space for the pastor. Free up time for the pastor so that he can be on his face before the Lord. On your behalf and on behalf of the saints. You see? That's church government. Real church government. Understand that the formula must be right. That's where new wine flows from. It's the only way new wine flows. Because outside of that formula, what in the world is flowing into the saints? You see? Well, I mean, you see like malnourished kids, you know, you see malnourished kids. I mean, you look in the third world, you see malnourished kids. But, you know, you look anywhere in the world, you see malnourished kids, you know, they just look different. You know, if, if that's you, I love you, but, you know, the proof is in the pudding. You should malnourishment in kids. It's like, well, you just, just the skin, the, the the hair. It just looks different. Malnourishment. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's what do you expect? I mean, it's malnourishment. And some, you know, I understand it in the third world because I mean, they're, they're, it's, it's poverty. And even that is growing. I mean, you know, one of the signs of the last days, famines. You see? But then at the same time, what about spiritually? When the church becomes anemic, now listen, only new wine. That's the nourishment. Only, only, only new wine. And new wine can only come from new wineskins. Without that, What in the world is flowing into the church? What in the world are the saints of the Most High feeding upon? Now you see. Understand perhaps, hopefully. Why Paul and James and John, they encourage the joy of the Lord, which is beautiful. But are they themselves full of joy? Not yet. Not yet. And you see how Brother John, he says, I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in truth. That's the real joy of a pastor. That's the real joy of a pastor when the saints walk in truth. You know, you have like Pastor Appreciation Day. Oh, look, we got you this, we got you this, we got you this, we got you this. Those aren't sources of joy. I mean, not to hurt anybody's feelings. The source of real joy for a pastor is to know that his children are walking in truth. That's the real joy. Look at these 
beautiful men of the Lord, Joshua and the elders, a state of mourning because Israel has suffered defeat. Now, notice, this is 3,000 have fled, i.e. 36 have died. And when you look at these numbers, the 3,000 men, so I'm terrible at math, but 3,000 minus 36, so like 2,064. I'm terrible at math, but so we'll say about 3,000 men. They fled. And now you have of these, 36 are dead casualties. But when you look at the entire camp of Israel, it's like, well, this is meaningless. Carnally speaking, in the grand scheme of things, it's like, well, wait a second, this is meaningless. We got more warriors. Look, we'll just send reinforcements. Instead of 3,000, we'll send 20,000. Instead of 20,000, look, we'll have a surge. We'll have a surge of warriors. We'll send we'll send a hundred thousand. Let's just take care of it, you know, and in an hour we'll just handle business in an hour. Nice and nice and done. But that's carnal thinking. Fighting with wisdom of the world. And look at these myths like, well, wait a second, Joshua, elders, why are you on your face before the Lord? We should strategize. Let's have a surge. Let's send a hundred thousand men. But what are they doing? They're on their face before the Lord. You see? Defeat. When the Lord says, you'll have victory. Casualties. When the Lord says, you will live. Because the godly men, Joshua and the elders, they know something's wrong. Something is wrong. I have a message for pastors and elders, overseers. You might have a hundred people in your church. You might have a thousand people in your church. You might have 500. The number is irrelevant. You know, if the Lord has called you and you meet the biblical qualifications of pastor and elder and overseer, you meet those. Where you see defeat, where you see casualties, you know something's wrong. You better be on your face before the Lord. You see? But where can this be found today? Godly men, pastors, elders, specifically speaking about overseers. Where can this be found today? Today you have... You know, big churches, thousands and thousands, 5,000, 10,000, the mega churches. Oh, we have a casualty over here. That's no big deal. We got thousands. And, you know, we get, you know, thousands of new believers ever. Look, the Lord is with us. The fruit, we have the fruit, we have the fruit. Our numbers are growing. 
We got casualties over here, casualties over there. Oh, the Lord is with us. They do their hair. They get their highlights in their hair. They talk with their rock star voice. Got the best bands in the business. Got the smoke, the effects, the laser light show. All these things. But what you don't see is men on their face before the Lord. Hour upon hour upon hour upon hour upon hour. When everybody's sound asleep, hour upon hour on their face before the Lord. Carpet stained. Tears. You see? Where can this be found today? And so we see in verse 7, and Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, translates as Adonai Jehovah, which translates as Sovereign God. You see? Now, understand, Joshua is not a Calvinist. Joshua isn't Reformed theology where he says, you know, uh, oh, you know, Lord, we're predestined to take casualties because, you know, you're sovereign. We're predestined to take casualties. Joshua's not a, a Calvinist. No, he's godly. Joshua isn't Reformed theology. No, he's godly. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God. And Joshua asks, Why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To deliver us into the hand of the Amorites. To destroy us. Very, very valid. Beautiful that we see Joshua in mourning, covering of dirt. On his face before the Lord, prostrate, prostrate, asking these questions. Adonai, Jehovah, sovereign Lord, sovereign God. Why? Is it to, de to destroy us? Very valid questions. That he has. Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Whoa, that's a big statement, Joshua. A big statement. Joshua, what's wrong? Look at how the choice of one guy, Aiken. Look at how it impacts leadership. Look at how it's impacting the heart of Joshua. To where even he, that we have been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Because at least then we were whole. At least then we weren't in a state of defeat. At least then we didn't have casualties. It's a big statement. But look at how the choice of one guy hits the heart of Joshua. You see? 
raw emotion before the Lord in reverence. Remember, he's prostrate before the Lord. He's One time I was talking with an elder, which the formula wasn't right in him. And he asked me the question. He says, have you ever cussed out God? Like, you know, in raw emotion, have you ever been so mad at God? And he looks up. This is a supposedly godly man. He looks up and he uses his middle finger and he's speaking to me and he says, have you ever cussed out God? And he looks up and he sticks his middle finger out and he says, oh God, I'm so angry. And he just started saying expletive, 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 expletive. Have you ever said that of the Lord or to the Lord? What a fool. What a fool. Why Why would a supposed godly man even think about doing that? Even have the thought in his mind to look up into the heavens and give the middle finger. And these people are overseers of saints. It's beautiful to have raw emotion before the Lord, but remember who he is. Have reverence for him. This wicked, wicked man who calls himself an elder, an overseer. a fool without repentance he will burn in hell you see leadership matters oh look I want to go to this church they have 5,000 people oh look God is with them God is with them you better understand the formula and look at the leadership because new wine flows from new wineskins You don't have new wine skins, formula's not right. You ain't getting new wine. That's where the nutrients are. Men who love the Lord, who fear the Lord, and are tasked by the Lord to feed, to teach, to protect. Tasked by the Lord. Look at Joshua. Over one man's choice, Achan. This is just one guy. The impact into the entire camp of Israel, the impact unto the elders, the impact unto Joshua. One guy. And Joshua's praying, we see in verse 8, O Lord, which is Adonai, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? Lord, what do I say? Lord, what do I do? You see, it's so beautiful because intimacy with God, it's so beautiful. But sometimes it's not so flowery. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's very painful. Sometimes it's utterly painful. 
If you're in ministry, painful on behalf of others, just like Joshua, praying for the saints. You might have 5,000 people in the fellowship. You might have 500 people in the fellowship. You might have 100. You might have 50. You might have 10. You might have 5. intercede and sometimes in intercession there is an abundance of pain Joshua didn't do anything Joshua didn't do anything Achan did the elders they didn't do anything Achan did and you see Joshua's on his face seeking the Lord I wonder what Aiken's doing. You see? Aiken all in his tent playing his video games. Aiken in his tent watching TV, watching a movie. Not a care in the world. And Joshua's on his face before the Lord. Israel suffered defeat. We have casualties. Aiken. Everything's fine and dandy. Not a care in the world. Oh, my bank account. It's nice and large. It's nice and fat. Oh, look, my asset portfolio. It's this. Oh, look, playing his video games. Watching his movies. Watching his shows. Everything's fine and dandy. Look at what he's done. Remember, at this point, nobody knows. Nobody knows what has happened. Just aching in the Lord. And so Joshua is pleading with God. In verse 9, For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? Very similar pleas and intercessions of Moses. When he sought the face of the Lord, Remember, Achan's sin at this point is unknown to Joshua, unknown to Israel. <coughs> Excuse me. All Joshua knows at this point is that Israel suffered defeat and took casualties. You see? And so we continue. Now, what's beautiful in this intimacy is the Lord isn't silent. He responds to Joshua. Look at verse 10. So the Lord said to Joshua, get up, exclamation point. Get up, he says, exclamation point. Why do you lie thus on your face, question mark? Why are you lying on your face? That's like, wait a second. I thought seeking the Lord was good. It's good, right? Being prostrate before the Lord is good, right? Interceding is good, right? Yes, it is very good. All of it, very good. But with intimacy, growth, and maturity, and friendship with God, yes, friendship with God. Remember, Jesus says to his disciples, I no longer call you servants, now I call you friends. Because a servant that is, doesn't know what his master is doing. And, you know, if you were walking with us for a while, you remember we give these prior examples or the example, remember, you and me were servants in a master's house. Just for example, we're, we're servants. It's day one on the job. It's our first day. Say we're both 
working in the kitchen. We're both working in the kitchen. I'm the cook. And, you know, you you bring the plates. Or vice versa. It's our first day on the job. It's morning time. Where you and me, we're in the kitchen. We have our, our little meal. The master, he's now sitting at the table. And there I am in the kitchen, you know, whisking away the scrambled eggs and this and that, some bacon over here, some ham and toast and, you know, however this, however that, and making my mixture and cooking. I put on the plate, nice presentation. I say, hey, it's ready to go. And you grab the plate and you walk into the next room and you put it down on the thing. And the master, very gently, very kind. You see him, you, you observe him. He puts some salt he puts more salt. And you're like, whoa, that's a lot of salt. He puts some pepper. More pepper. Then he asks you for certain spices. Hey, do you have some, I don't know, some of this and some of that. And he asks you, oh, do you have some cheese? And do you have uh, some, you know, uh, jack cheese? You know, do you have this? Do you have that? Then you come into the kitchen, you say, hey, the master, he wants this and he wants that and he wants this and he wants that. And I notice he put the salt, I notice he put the pepper and this and that. And I give you this, I give you that and you take it in and the master, you see a big smile on his face. And he's gentle, he's not like me, like, you know, I'm not eating this garbage. No, he's very gentle. But you just know, you, you're, you're noticing him. You're, he's like, you know, adding this, adding that. Then he asks, oh, do you have some onions? Some diced up onions. Nice and fine. You come in, you say, hey, he wants the onions. He wants nice and fine. I said, I'm chopping it up. Chop, 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 chop. Put on a little plate. Okay, here for the master. Our master. You say, here, master, here's your onions. You see, we're servants. But in the course of time, Time has passed. The master, he sits down and you bring him nothing extra. He doesn't even, you know, the salt and the pepper, it's collecting dust now. He's not asking you for onions. He's not asking you for cheese. He's not asking you for any kind of extra. You know why? Because he loves it. Just the way it's been prepared, he loves it. Do you know why he loves it? Because you and me, we've learned. And in the course of time, we've fallen in love with our master. He says, you know what? Why don't you join me? Pull up a chair. There we are, two nobodies, two presumed nobodies, you and me. There we are sitting at the table of the master. And this guy, you know, he's, he, I mean, we serve him as our master, but he's like, you know, he's a big deal. And like, he, like, we have the, the pleasure of joining him at his table. And he's happy about it. He treats us with dignity. He treats us like beautifully. And then all of a sudden we start to fall deeper and deep. We start to fall in love with him. And then we fall deeper and deeper and deeper in love with him. You see? 
And then he looks at us one day and he says, you know, you, do you remember when I, I hired you guys as servants? And we're like, yeah, we remember. He says, but you guys aren't my servants anymore. And we're kind of like shocked, like, oh, is he going to fire us? And he says, no. You guys are my friends now. Because before you were a servant, you didn't know that I wanted the salt and the pepper and maybe a little extra salt. And, you know, doctors might have their opinion, but so what if I like salt? The cheese, the onions, and now you make these meals and they are exquisite. I don't, I don't question anything and this and that. It's beautiful. But, you know, you guys, I don't consider you servants anymore. He says to us, now you're my friends because you don't wonder what I want because you know what I want. You don't wonder what is what I like and what is permissible because you know. And that's what we can have in Christ. I say that on purpose. That's what we can have in Christ. It's possible. But to be a friend of God, that means you know the Lord. That means there's intimacy with Him. You see? When Brother James writes, inspired of the Spirit, he says Abraham was a friend of God. You see? And this is something that Joshua is learning in real time. The Lord says in chapter 1, I'm with you. Be strong and courageous, I'm with you. But then now Israel suffers defeat, they've taken casualties, it's like, what's wrong? And now the Lord responds. I love this so much because you have Joshua on his face before the Lord and it's not like, well, you know, the Lord's not answering, so, you know. I'm just going to wait a month, a year. and No, boom, the Lord is answering. Get up, the Lord says. Why do you lie thus on your face? Because remember, in our... Look at what's happening in Israel where God says to Joshua, cross over the Jordan. God said to Joshua, I am with you. God said to Joshua, you will have victory. But understand, Joshua has responsibilities to lead. Israel needs to be clean before the Lord. And Achan's choice at this particular moment is hidden. It's unbeknownst to anyone. And now what happens in intimacy with the Lord, God reveals the problem to Joshua. Look at God's perspective now, what God has to say about it. He says in verse 11, Israel has sinned. Hold the phone there for a moment. He says Israel has sinned. Now, we read the text, we see, wait a second, it's just Joshua. It's just Joshua, or it's just Achan. It's just Achan and his choice. But don't forget, it is also written, a little leaven leavens the bunch. A little leaven leavens the 
whole. Israel has sinned. Now we read the text, it's, it's only Achan. Look at the impact of Achan in the entire camp. Consider the church. A church of a thousand, a church of five hundred, a church of ten thousand, a church of a hundred, a church of fifty, a church of ten, a church of five. A church of three. A church of two. It's just just Achan made the choice. And the Lord doesn't say Achan has sinned. He says Israel has sinned. Whoa. And they, not just Achan, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have taken some of the accursed things. It's an abomination before the Lord. And have both, now there's two offenses here, have both stolen, that's one, and deceived, that is two. And they have also put it among their own stuff. Look at what we see what's happening here. The Lord says that Israel has sinned. Remember, a little leaven leavens the bunch. We have the leaven of Achan, which has now impacted the whole. Look at what the Lord sees, the whole. You see? Very interesting how in the previous generation, how one person the Lord would chastise, discipline, judge. His wrath would come on one person and those who followed, like Korah. When he chastised Miriam and Aaron on individuals. But now it's on the entire camp of Israel. Because don't forget, it is also written, to whom is given, much more is required. Now we see how the Lord sees the choice of one man, Achan. And the Lord says, Israel has sinned and they not, not only have they transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them in verse 12, he says, for they have taken some of the accursed things, which is an abomination, but we have, they have both stolen and deceived and they have put it among their own stuff. So we see deception, we see theft, we see the abomination, we see transgression, we see sin on Achan alone. No, Israel, the entire camp. Israel is defiled by one man's choice. Putting it among his own stuff as, as, as if it's no big deal. Oh, I'll add it to my assets. It's good for my portfolio. You know, social media. Oh, I'm blessed of the Lord. Hashtag blessed. Oh, hashtag blessed. Look how awesome I am. 
Joshua's on his face before the Lord, broken before the Lord, seeking the face of the Lord. Meanwhile, Achan, he's playing video games. Not a care in the world, watching his shows, watching his movies. Oh, I had a hard day at work, you know. Oh, I had a hard day at this. Oh, hashtag blessed. Oh, I'm watching my shows here, hashtag blessed. Oh, I'm playing my video games, hashtag blessed. It's a big deal. God is absolutely sovereign. And in his sovereignty, he is reactionary. And so we see in verse 12, therefore, remember, you know, as a result, therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies. Whoa. Remember, this is Ai. This was the battle of Ai, the little guys. Piece of cake. Recon team came back and says, oh, let's just send two to three thousand guys. A piece of cake. No big deal. Except Israel suffered defeat. They took casualties. You have 36 guys who are dead because of one guy's choice. See, the, the Lord said to Joshua, I am with you, Joshua. And Joshua can absolutely lean on God's promises. But to lean on God's promises, we have to have an understanding of who God is, but also an understanding of the formula better be right. Joshua is learning it. He, he knew it before, but he's learning it deeper and deeper and deeper. You see? Look at it in verse 12. Just this. The children of Israel. Let's just, okay, verse 12. Just look at this little part. Israel could not stand before their enemies. Not Achan. Israel. Israel could not stand before their enemies. Why? Achan's choice. One guy. Achan's choice. You see? On the entire camp? Yes, the entire camp. 3,000 guys fled, and of the 3,000, we have 36 casualties dead in combat. Remember, it's unknown that it's Achan. Now, the Lord is revealing to Joshua that there is an accursed thing. But it's unknown to Joshua that it's Achan. But now it's revealed to Joshua that there's sin in the camp. It's not to say that the Lord stopped being with Joshua. But in the heart of the people, something was amiss. God wasn't revered. Just one guy, Achan. And Israel could not stand before their enemies. You have, remember, they're fresh off the battlefield of Jericho. They had victory in Jericho. And now 3,000 guys, they couldn't stand before Ai. The little guys, Ai was like a piece of cake. 
but it wasn't a piece of cake. Why? Because of Aiken. Aiken's choice. And now we have casualties. Now the Lord says in verse 12, not just that Israel couldn't stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies. Remember, they ran away. Where God says advance, and the Israel's fighters, Israel's warriors, they were in retreat. I hate that word, retreat. But yet, that's what we see. The warriors were in retreat. Why? They couldn't stand before their enemies. Well, why that? Because of the accursed thing in the camp. You see? One man. Aiken. Not a care in the world. You know, he's in his tent playing his video games. Not a care in the world in his tent watching his shows. Had a hard day's work. You know, hashtag blessed. And so Israel, they're in retreat. And we see in verse 12, because they have become doomed to destruction. Now, to become is a process. They have become doomed to destruction, which translates, it's cherem uh, cherem in the Hebrew, which is accursed. Notice, accursed things, a curse. I'll say it again. Accursed things, a curse. They have become doomed to destruction. They have become accursed. Why? Because of the accursed thing, which is an abomination before the Lord. Aiken's little secret. Aiken's little secret. What about all the secrets in the church today? Pastors who are compromised, elders who are compromised, bishops who are compromised, deacons who are compromised, sheep that are compromised, lambs that are compromised. Oh, it's just a little sex, no big deal. It's just a little pornography, just a, just a, you know, little strippers over here, little prostitutes over here, little little Buddha over here, little Krishna over here, little crack, you know, cooking spoons every now and then, no big deal. Take the edge off, drink some vodka, no big deal. Oh, look, you know, hashtag blessed. Look at Aiken. One guy in the entire camp. No victory. Victory in Jericho. No victory in Ai. You see? Sometimes Christians wonder, why do I want to have victory? Why is it that there was victory here, but there's not victory over there? Why is it that there's victory over there, but not victory over here? Why, 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 why? Then Satan comes into the picture. Maybe God is fake. Maybe God is fake. Oh, what? You're depressed? Come on, I got the best crack for you. That'll make you feel good. I got some uppers for you. Oh, look, this lady will make you feel real good. This guy will make you feel real good. Oh, this Buddha will make you feel real good. Mary, she'll make you feel real good. Buddha, the Krishnas, they'll make you feel real good. Go to this church over here. He'll make you feel real good. He'll whisper sweet nothings into your ear. 
He'll make you feel good about yourself. You're in sin, but go to this church. He'll make you feel good about yourself. Got a nice smile on his face. He just says all these joyous things and joyful things. Look, you'll feel really good over here. Servants of Satan, the kind that Paul was afraid of for the Corinthian saints when he says, I fear for you because you have these preacher guys who present themselves as ministers of righteousness and they're going to preach another Jesus, another gospel, another spirit. Why? Because they're servants of Satan, but it's unbeknownst to the saints of Corinth. To Paul, he knows. Paul knows. Timothy, he knows. Titus, he knows. James, John, they know. Remember in, in, in Galatians, when we study Galatians, you know, the, the, these guys come in, they think they're something, but Paul knows they're really nothing. You see? And look at their impact to the saints of Galatia, bringing them to the law. And Paul says, I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? What Paul says. I mean, you look at chapter 7 here in Joshua. He said, just one little thing. Just a little bit, little, little gold over here, some silver over there. What's the big deal? You see, it's a huge deal. Remember, God is reactionary. And as a result, we see here in verse 12, he says, Neither will I be, neither will I be with you anymore. <laughs> neither will I be with you anymore. Remember, in chapter 1, God says, I am with you. And in chapter 7, he's saying, I won't be with you. Does God change his mind? No, people change their hearts. And here in chapter 7, it's just Achan, just one. His impact on the entire camp, defeat, casualties. After they just had victory in Jericho, they have defeat in Ai with casualties. And the Lord is saying straight up in verse 12, neither will I be with you anymore unless, unless, unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Whoa. I won't be with you unless. A huge, huge deal. Do you remember when Paul says, your rejoicing isn't good to the Corinthian saints. And he says to the remnant, okay, separate because it's leaven. You know, a little leaven leavens the whole. A little leaven leavens the bunch. So to the remnant, separate from the leaven, not even to eat with such a person. Because Paul knows. For God to bless the accursed impossible you see you say well nothing is impossible for the lord okay absolutely but we place heavy emphasis on formula for a reason oh but i'm crucified with christ listen paul says i am crucified with christ why because straight up he is crucified with christ I mean, you read the book of Acts, you read the uh, Paul's epistles to the churches, to the, to, the, to the pastors. When he says, I am crucified with Christ, 
you don't wonder. You know he is crucified with Christ. And he continues to say, he says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. But can anybody say that? Oh, but it's in the Bible and I lean on it. Oh, I'm just going to, you know, name it and claim it that I'm crucified with Christ. I'm just going to name it and claim it. Well, hold on a second. Look at your social media and look, you were you were doing lines the other night. Look at social media. What? You're at the strip club. Look, you're baked over here. Your wife is alcoholic. And, you know, I understand that that's how you were before you came to Christ. But you're still the same. There's no change. And if there's no change, that reveals something else. That means the old nature is still alive. And yes, for Paul to say, I am crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the case of Paul, 100% absolutely true. Absolutely true, 100%. Fully, completely. But in the case for all, Oh, I believe in the finished work of the cross. He's not done. You see? It's a big deal. Because a lot of times, when we don't understand the nature and character of our Lord, we don't understand... Exactly that, his nature and character, what he likes, what he dislikes, and how he functions. And you have Christians today. They go to war unarmed. They go to war unequipped. They go to war incapable of fighting. And they lose. And the church takes casualties. You see, no victory. But we had victory in Jericho. We had victory just yesterday, just like with Jericho. Yes, there was victory in Jericho, but it's officially history. You see, it's officially history. I.E. is officially history. There wasn't victory. There was victory in Jericho, which is history now. But there was defeat in I.E., which is also history. Look at these first two campaigns of Israel. You have victory and defeat. Now we ask the question, why? When the Lord says to Joshua, I will be with you, I will never forsake you. The Lord says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. The Lord says to Joshua, kings will fall before you. You see? And now all of a sudden, it's like, well, wait a second. Now the, now it's like, Ai? We suffered loss in Ai. We have victory in Jericho. We have defeat over here. Why is that? Well, did the Lord change his mind? No. The formula in the people was wrong. Through 
disobedience, through the abomination, through the choice and decision of one guy. His name is Aiken. You see? It's a big deal. In verse 13, the Lord says, get up. Remember verse 10? Why are you on your face? In verse 10, why do you lie thus on your face? I mean, he said, get up. In verse 10, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? In verse 13, he says it again. Get up. Sanctify the people. Consecrate the people is how it translates. Remember, only the clean can clean. Only the clean can clean. The Lord's not going to call on Achan to sanctify. Why? Because Achan's dirty. But the Lord says, Joshua, sanctify the people. Only the clean can clean. Sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves. Very interesting what we see here. Sanctification and consecration by speech. Because verse 13, sanctify the people and say. Very powerful what we see here. Sanctification and consecration by speech. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. You see? Romans 10, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings. Those who are called to teach, those who are called to preach. The Lord is giving him the blueprints for sanctification. And he says for Joshua to say to the people, sanctify yourselves. This is powerful because sanctify yourselves. Because at that point, ball's in your court. Ball's in your court. The people respond. You know, It's their own choice. Now, sanctification in accordance to the law, there's additional processes according to the law. But according to grace, Jesus Christ, washed by the blood of the Lamb. Repent, 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 repent. I mean, when you read the book of Revelation, in Revelation 2 and 3, there's only two churches that the Lord says, doesn't say to repent. There's only two, Smyrna and Philadelphia. The other five churches, he says, repent, repent, repent. Kind of says a lot about the pride of the five churches. The majority. Why do they feel that they need not repent? You see? Why do they feel that they need not repent? And the Lord says, repent. And giving these blueprints to Joshua, he's saying to, for Joshua to say to the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow because thus says the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. Now, Achan's sin is no longer a secret, but it's not yet tied to him. It's not tied. It's just revealed to Joshua 
that there's sin in the camp. And it's about to be revealed to the people that there's sin in the camp. What's unknown is that it's aching. There is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies. You see, all these years, all these years, fulfillment of promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now we can't go? I mean, put yourselves in the sandals of the entire camp. All these years, promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our people, we've been in bondage for centuries. We were in the wilderness. First generation died. And now we can't go forth? After all we've been through and what God has done? Who is this guy? Who is the source of this accursed thing? You see? And the Lord is saying to Joshua, say this to the people, that you cannot stand before your enemies until, we see in verse 13, until you take away the accursed thing from among you. You see, who is it? Understand leadership matters. Very specific instructions. You know, today we live in a time where there's churches on every street corner. Churches on every street corner. A pastor in obedience to the Lord who keeps the house of God clean. And somebody says, oh, look, he's crazy. He lost his mind. He's so mean. He's so mean. He's so mean. I'm going to go to this church where the guy will make me feel good about myself. I can do my sex. I can do my drugs. I can do my crack. I can do my whatever, my Buddha. I can worship Mary. I can do all these things without a contrite heart. I can do all these things. And this pastor tells me I'm okay. This pastor tells me it's okay. I can have, you know, the kids under my roof. They can all do their sex. They can do their drugs. They can do their alcohol. Look, I'm even going to facilitate and bring in this female to have sex with my boys. And I'm going to go to this church over here where everything's fine and dandy. See, leadership matters. See? Very specific instructions. To the camp of Israel, Joshua says, the Lord says, gives him what to say. To Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies because there's an accursed thing in your midst. And you won't be able to stand. I mean, this victory in Jericho, defeat in Ai. Jericho was more affordable. Ai was the piece of cake. You see? And Joshua says, you cannot, you're going to have defeat after defeat after defeat. You won't be able to stand before your enemies because the formula is not right in the camp. You take the accursed thing away, get it out from among you. 
You see? No victory with the accursed thing. Oh, but God is love. God is for us who can be against us. God is love. God is love. God is love. Absolutely, God is love. But there are things he likes. There are things he dislikes. There are things he he teaches us through chastisement. And understanding through the truth of God's holy word, we understand his character, his nature. There are accursed things in the eyes of the Lord. And through intimacy with him, we learn what are those accursed things. And just like Moses, the golden calf is accursed. I don't like it. Just like Joshua, the golden calf, it's accursed. I don't like that. But for everybody else, they learn the hard way. You see? Same, same, nothing new under the sun. Very similar lesson for this second generation of Israel. Remember, the Lord is telling Joshua, giving him these very specific blueprints. And we see this in verse 14. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes or captures shall come according to families. And the family which the Lord takes or captures shall come by household. So now it gets more finite. And the household which the Lord takes or captures shall come man by man. It becomes more finite. Then it shall be that he who is taken or captured with the accursed thing shall be burned. Whoa. Shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has. You see? There's a reason. There's a defeat doesn't just happen for the sake of defeat. Defeat happens for a reason. Casualties doesn't happen just for the sake of casualties. Casualties come for a reason. And so many times Christians. Oh, spiritual war, spiritual war, spiritual war, spiritual war, spiritual war, spiritual war. Oh, look, I'm a warrior for Christ. Oh, look, I'm a warrior. Oh, yeah, warrior, warrior, warrior. But there's a specific formula for warrior. Chloe had it. Timothy had it. Titus had it. You see? Lydia had it. Phoebe had it. Very specific formula for warrior. And this person where the accursed thing entered shall be burned with fire. He and all he has because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. This disgraceful translates as the act and the doing of the fool, 
the stupid, the wicked, the vile, folly, crime, disgrace, dishonor, to wither and to fall away. Very interesting. To fall away. Very heavy. In the camp of Israel, what do we see? In the camp, inside the camp, not in IE, not in Jericho, not in anywhere else. Inside the camp of Israel, we see falling away and we see burn with fire. Sound familiar? It's the exact same today. This sifting that we see in the camp of Israel, this sifting for the church will happen according to a very holy formula. To fall away, apostasia. Apostasy in the church. We see in verse 16, so Joshua rose early in the morning. So now it's the day of. Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes. Now notice, you know, the Lord tells, gives him these very specific blueprints what to do. And he says in verse 16, so Joshua, now he's in, in, in obedience, he's doing exactly what the Lord told him. And, you know, in, in, in verse 13, he says, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord tells him what to say to the people. And so now it's tomorrow. Now it's the next day. It's the day of in verse 16. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes. Now notice because of one man's choice and decision to sin and take an accursed thing, all Israel became accursed. And now the sifting begins. It's almost like a TSA checkpoint. Have you ever gone to the airport? You're taking a, a flight somewhere, you know, and you go to the TSA checkpoint, you know, and they, they go through all the people, all the passengers. And that's kind of what's happening here. Like a TSA checkpoint. Because the Lord told him in verse 14, you know, uh, 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 in the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes. This is verse 14. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes or captures shall come according to families. And the family which the Lord takes or captures shall come by household. So it gets more finite. Ultimately, at the end of verse 14, man by man. And so now in verse 16, in real time, it's the day of, and Joshua in obedience, it's like that similar checkpoint, TSA checkpoint. Reuben, you're good to go. Gad, you're good to go. Manasseh, you're good to go. Naphtali, you're good to go. Dan, you're good to go. Judah, step over here, please. Walk through here, please. And then the alarm bells sound. Now it's revealed. Now it's revealed. What's already revealed is that there's sin in the camp. There's an accursed thing in the camp. Now it's revealed. Manasseh, you're good. Reuben, you're good. Gad, you're good. Dan, you're good. Judah, something's wrong. And now this sifting happens. Everybody, you're free to go now except for Judah. Now everyone of Judah... Step over here. The sifting gets more finite. And you know what's sad? It kills me. It breaks my heart. The previous day, the previous day, Joshua said, sanctify yourselves. 
Remember verse 13? The previous day, Joshua said, sanctify yourselves. And it kills me. It breaks my heart. You know why? Because what Achan could have done. What Achan could have done. In sanctifying himself, just as Joshua said, the day before, now it's the day of, but the day before, when in verse 13, you know, get up, sanctify the people, and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. So in that process of sanctification for Achan to say, you know what, I took the accursed thing, I shouldn't have taken the accursed thing, now I'm going to go and alert the, the, the captain of the tribe, the head of the tribe, and say, it was me. Steps taken to get right with God. Maybe he was leaning too much on once saved, always saved. Oh, once saved, always saved. I'm good to go. Look, I'm of the elect. I'm good to go. I'll go ahead and take this accursed thing and it's no big deal. Once saved, always saved. Maybe he faked it with his wife and kids. Come on, kids, let's be sanctified. Going through the motions. The wife in submission. Happy because of her godly husband, quote unquote, godly husband. The whole time he's playing a part. Acting. Hypocrites, the hypocrite. The whole time. Just consider what Achan could have done the day before when the Lord said to Joshua, say to the people to sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. So the day before they knew, I got to sanctify myself. Picture all the people in Dan who they were already right before the Lord. Picture Manasseh already right before the Lord. And they just make sure. You know, like it, like they take inventory, spiritual inventory, okay? Not just spiritual inventory, you know, in the law, literal, literal, literal inventory. You see? Picture the camp. A wife asking the husband, they, they just went to war. They just had a, in, in the battle of Jericho. A wife asking the husband, hey, husband, did you take any gold? Did you take any silver? The husband, no, I didn't, I didn't, look, I'm, I'm, I'm clean. The husband saying to the wife, hey, wife, did you take this? No, the wife, no, I'm clean. Dad to the kid, hey, kids, you know, did you, did you get, did you get out of the tent and, you know, run over here and take something? No, no, no pops. Picture that in dad and Manasseh, just making sure. Looking over their bodies, checking for leprosy. Is there any like, is it us? Is it, what, what is, just making sure. Picture that in Dan, in Manasseh, in Naphtali. Picture all of that. But in Aiken's tent? The day before, 
when the Lord is the one who said to Joshua to say to the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. And in that process of sanctification, think about all the people who did exactly that. Because remember the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. Except what in the world happened in Achan's tent? Hey, wife, once saved, always saved. I'm good to go. I like the study Bible guy. Oh, wife, it's okay. You submit to me. Look, uh, I'm, 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 I'm the authority figure. You know, you submit to me, wife. Go make me some chicken. Go make me some turkey. Go make me some whatever. Hey, wife, you submit to me. Kids, you submit to me. You see? I'm a Calvinist. I'm Reformed theology. You submit to me. I'm good to go once saved, always saved. Now, if you're Calvinist Reformed, I love you. Listen to our studies through Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. You'll understand more. Also, listen to the study. Do not take the mark of the beast because you'll see the study Bible guy. And you'll hear him say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved, which is a lie from the pit of hell. So I don't just say these things to pick on the Calvinist Reformed. You say these things to understand. If you're Calvinist and Reformed, that's a dangerous, dangerous ship to be on. It's sinking. It's deadly. And I say unto you, come out of her, my people, jump ship. It is not safe. Think about all the tents. Getting right with the Lord, looking for leprosy. You know, a mom and dad inspecting their kids. Is there leprosy? You know, baby girl, you got some leprosy here? You got some leprosy here? Just making sure everything is good to go. Is it us? Is it us? Remember, there's un any form of uncleanliness. Is there is leprosy of items in our tent? The day before, just making sure everything is good to go. And meanwhile, you have Aiken watching his shows, playing his video games. Oh, once saved, always saved. I'm good to go. No big deal. Hashtag blessed. And now it's the day of. You got like the TSA checkpoint. Reuben, you guys are good to go. Manasseh, you guys are good to go. Judah. Now the alarm bells are going off. You see? So we see in verse 16, So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken, was captured. You see? Now, to my Jewish friends, rabbi listeners, I love you. By Judah, we see this defiling, but also by Judah, we see cleansing. It's the root of Jesse. His name is Jesus. The tribe of Judah was captured, was taken. We see, or was caught in verse 16. In verse 17. He brought the clan of Judah or the tribe and the family of Judah and he took the family of the Zarhites and he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man, man by man and Zabdi was taken. So we see the sifting gets more finite just as he says in verse 14 and 15 the, the, or in verse 14, the sifting gets more finite because remember in 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 verse 1, we see it's like it's the order. It's in reverse order because in verse 1, we see 
you know, uh, 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 Karmi, Zabdi, Zerah, and Judah. But here in verse uh, for, uh, verse 16 and 17, we see the reverse order. Judah, Zerah, Zabdi, Karmi. Unbeknownst to Joshua, the sin of Achan. Unbeknownst to Israel is the sin of Achan. Unbeknownst to Judah is the sin of Achan. Unbeknownst to wife and kids, perhaps, is the sin of Achan. But not God. Not God. He sees it all. Aiken in his tent, playing his video games, watching his shows. So at a hard day's work. Hashtag blessed. Wife, submit to me. Bring me my dinner, wife. Submit to me. Hey, kids. Submit to me. Bring me my newspaper. Not a care in the world. Meanwhile, we have 36 dead guys. Casualties. You see? Now you see the sifting gets more finite. Just like we see in verse 17. He brought the clan of Judah. He took the family of the Zarhites. And he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man. And Zabdi was taken. In verse 18. Then he, this is Zabdi, brought his household. Man by man. The sifting gets smaller. And Achan. Achan. The son of Carmi. The son of Zabdi. The son of Zerah. Of the tribe of Judah was taken. He's captured. He's caught. Now it's official. Now it's known. There's sin in the camp and it is Achan. Look at what Achan could have done just a day before. Remember, we're in Joshua. We're in the book of Joshua. The Torah has been written. The rules and the statutes for restoration and being clean before the Lord, they've been written. But he chose not to. He chose not to. Because just consider for a moment what Achan could have done the day before. Now it's the mor- the morning of. It's the day of. Just like in verse 16. So Joshua rose early in the morning. And in obedience to the Lord. He does exactly what the Lord told him. The blueprints that the Lord told him. They do the TSA checkpoint. Going tribe by tribe by tribe. Family by family by family. And slowly what happened in this process of sifting. He took, you know, Judah was caught. The Zarhites. He brought the family of the Zarhites. Man by man. Zabdi was taken. And the sifting gets smaller and smaller. And so Zabdi's in obedience. Picture Zabdi. Picture all those in, in, in that family. Picture them too. The night before getting everything, you know, like checking their kids, checking, you know, everybody making sure no, no, no leaven here. Is it us? You know, did you take gold? Did you take silver? Did you? No, 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 no. We're just making sure everything's good to go. And picture them, their tribe, the alarm bells. Their family alarm bells. You see? Household alarm bells. 
and everything just boils down further and further, sifting gets deeper and deeper, more finite, and all of a sudden it is discovered. Now it is aching. But the statutes have already been written. We're aching the night before when the command was given to sanctify yourselves. And he chose not to sanctify himself. He could have gone to the elder of the tribe. He could have gone to the elder of the tribe and says, listen, it was me. I took of this accursed thing because it was revealed through Joshua. You know, there's an accursed thing in our midst. And Joshua, knowing what he could have done, knowing that it was an accursed thing, just consider what he could have done to go to the elder. Hey, elder, it was me. Maybe not like that. Like, hey, elder, because I mean, it's a somber thing to be caught in sin. Well, to be caught in sin is one thing, but even before being caught in sin, to know that the person is in sin, it's like what he could have done in confessing to the Lord and saying, hey, it was me. Just think of what could have happened. Restoration once again. And through one man, all, 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 all Israel became accursed. Through one man and his choice. Now we see in verse 19, now the sin is known and the source. Achan is discovered as the cause of Israel becoming accursed. Israel is the, Israel is accursed and the cause, Achan, the sin, the, the accursed, Israel becoming accursed as a result of Achan's choice. It is now revealed. And not just that, we took casualties. We have dead people. We have wives with no husband. We have Kids with no dad because they were killed. Because of one guy's choice. See? So many times people think sin impacts them alone. Have you ever talked with kids of divorced parents? Kids of divorced parents. Those are the most messed up kids that you'll ever meet. Because they know, like, th they know the disconnect. They, they might not be able to define the disconnect. They might not be able to explain the disconnect. But they know this isn't right. They know they have their mom. They have their dad. The parents, they get divorced. Mom, you know, gets with the next guy. Dad gets with the next girl. And then, then they get trade off. You know, I got a week over here with mom, a week over here with dad. You talk to these kids, they know this isn't right. They might not be able to explain it, but they know this isn't right. It's so sad how kids suffer from the choices of parents. But the opposite is also true. Parents can suffer from the choices of kids. You talk to the parents of kids who are on drugs. You know, a 14-year-old girl who gets addicted to meth. 16-year-old who starts doing crack, cooking spoons, all of a sudden it's like you look at the heartbroken parents. You see? 
That's what sin does. That's what sin does. And just as Israel became accursed, a person's choice to sin doesn't, it, it's not just, you know, it, 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 it doesn't impact Achan alone. Israel became accursed. You see? A husband who's unfaithful to his wife comes home late from work. The husband comes home late from work. He's like, hey, you know, I had a rough day at the office. I had a long day at the office. Unbeknownst to the wife, he was doing his dirty business on his phones with his, you know, his sex apps. Click a button over here. Meet this girl over here. Meet this lady over here. Meet up at the motel. Meet up at the motel. Do the dirty business and all kinds of things. Comes home. Wife knows nothing about it. The husband says, oh, I had a rough day at the office. Long day at the office. Working late at the office. Wife becomes HIV positive. Wife is dead. Died of AIDS. The whole time she was faithful to her husband. Now you have dead wife. As a result of stupid husband. Now the kids, you know, like teenage kids, they kind of have this awareness. Wow, mom died of AIDS. How did she die of AIDS, dad? You see? Look at how a family is destroyed as a result of one stupid choice. One man. Oh, you know, multiple stupid choices, but one man. You see? In verse 19... Now Joshua said to Achan, remember Joshua, heartbroken before the Lord, remember he tore his clothes on his face before the Lord, pleading with the Lord. Joshua devastated, and he says to Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. You see, leadership matters. Not for the sake of being leaders. So many times people say, oh, look, I'm the leader. I'm the pastor. I'm the head of this church. Oh, look how awesome I am. I got my pastor name badge. I got my pastor parking spot. And oh, everybody has to submit to me. And look how awesome I am. And oh, look, I'm so blessed. Hashtag blessed. Fools. Because godly pastors consider themselves trash. Just like Paul. Remember in Paul in our study in 1 Corinthians? Paul says to the saints, you guys are the kings. You guys are like kings. You guys. We, us, the workers. He says, quote, we're the scum of the earth. End quote. But leadership matters. Selfless leadership. It's not leadership for the sake of being leaders. It's not climbing a corporate ladder. You see? Men. When we speak of pastoral leadership, men, 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 covering, always male. 
Men who fear God, love God, sound doctrine, the full package. Just so happens we study this on Sunday. The full package. Sin is heartbreaking. The impact of a person's choice on the individual, yes, but put that individual to the side. The impact on the family, a church, most important, our Lord. The name of Jesus. Look at Aiken. One, one guy. One man. 36 dead. 36 wives, no husband. 36 plus kids, maybe, you know, multiple families, maybe, or multiple kids, maybe there's like 70 kids. No dad. Because of one man's choice. Joshua heartbroken before the Lord, the elders heartbroken before the Lord, tearing their clothes in sorrow. Why is this happening, Lord? It, it, was it better for us to be on the other side of the Jordan? Because at least there we were whole. At least there we didn't suffer casualties. And Joshua pleading with Achan, I beg you, my son. I beg you, my son, I beg you. Give glory to the Lord. God of Israel, and make confession to him in verse 19. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And now we see in verse 20, And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I have done. This is sad. This is sad. And now all of a sudden, we see in verse 21, Achan explains his deed. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment. This translates in the Hebrew as a robe or a dress. I wonder what was going on in Achan's mind. Victory in Jericho. Victory in Jericho. Walking the streets of Jericho, walking through the town of Jericho. Seeing over here a Babel, beautiful Babylonian garment. Translates as robe or dress. And in his mind thinking, you know, maybe my wife will like this. Look, this is okay. This is beautiful in the eyes of the Lord because I'm thinking of her. I'm thinking of others. Look, I'm selfless. Making excuses for oneself. He says, I saw, when I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, and it wasn't just that. 200 shekels of silver. And it's not just that. And a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. Think of the excuses in his mind. Oh, I just want to provide for my family. Look, I'm selfless. Nice little dress for my wife. 
some sh some shekels of silver, some gold. It's good for my portfolio. I just want to provide for my family. Making excuses when the Lord says, no, these things are accursed things. Moses said it. Joshua said it. The people believed it. Achan, he made his choice. He says, I coveted them and took them. Notice this process that we see in verse 21. Achan in verse 21 says, when I saw the spoils, among the spoils. So Achan saw. And he explains that he saw the garment, he saw the silver, he saw the gold. But then he says, I coveted them. So he saw, he coveted them, and then he says, I took them. Look at this process. A Achan saw, he coveted, and he took. It's mine. This garment, it's mine. This silver, it's mine. This gold, it's mine. He took. You see? Look at this process. He saw, he coveted, he took. See, covet, take. See, covet, take. See, covet, take. See, covet, take. You know what that is? Wickedness. Wickedness. You want to know the way of righteousness? The way of righteousness, the way of wickedness is a process. But the way of righteousness is also a process moving on to perfection. But the way of righteousness is this. The way of wickedness is see, covet, take. But the way of righteousness and growth and maturity is this. See, covet, take, repent. And there's more. As what most Christians don't, don't get beyond this. It's see, covet, take, repent. Most Christians, the vast majority, never get beyond this point. But that's baby. That's the way of the baby. That's the way of the immature. As you move on to perfection, it's see, covet, repent. No take. See, covet, repent. No take. Even fewer Christians move beyond this point. It's to see and understand. Very, very, very few move even further beyond this point. It's to see with eyes to see. And even further, very, 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 very few. The next level in maturity, becoming deadly and being deadly. The good deadly, not the bad deadly, the good deadly. Like Paul, like Timothy, like Titus, like John, like James, like Dr. Luke. Like Priscilla, Aquila. Like Chloe. The deadly level, the good deadly, is to see and weep. 
because you see that many are blind. Many are like Aiken. That's the way of righteousness. At the baby level, to see, covet, take, repent. You see? That's where most Christians are today. They see, wow, look, I like this alcohol. They covet, wow, you know, they see the alcohol. And then they covet the alcohol, wow, you know what, that would really take the edge off. I had a rough day at work, and wow, that would really help me sleep better. So you know what, I'm going to get this bottle of whiskey. I'm going to take it home. And see, they take, now they take. Now they're drunk. They wake up with a hangover the next night, and then they repent. Lord, forgive me. That's the baby level. And just like in Corinth, most Christians don't get beyond that point. Oh, look, it's a little sex, little pornography, you know, little Buddha, little worship of Mary, got the strippers, go to the casino, go all these things. And then, you know, it's see, covet, take, and then repent. But then the next level of maturity is to see, covet, no taking, and then repent. To see the whiskey, even covet the whiskey. Man, you know what? I, I don't sleep, but I would sleep, sleep like a baby if I just drank that bottle. But, Lord, I, I'm bringing every thought captive to the obedience of you, Lord. And I saw the whiskey, I coveted the whiskey, but I repent. That could be anything. I'm saying whiskey, but it could be anything. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole nine yards. You know, strippers, pornography. You see? Most people repent after the deed. Even fewer repent at the thought. Because in mind, we have to have clarity and purity of mind. Remember Philippians 4 verse 8, whatever things are true, noble, uh, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. That's the mind of the Christian. Meditate on these things. Very interesting that we see that in Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians. Because remember, Philippians ain't Corinth. Philippians, Philippi ain't Corinth. Philippi ain't Galatia. Now I say that, but if you've been walking with us for a while, you understand. These aren't baby Christians. And then the next level of maturity, now you don't covet. You don't covet the whiskey. You don't covet the sex. You don't covet the lines. You don't covet the casino. You don't covet the, the money. You don't covet whatever it is. Because you've been changed. You've been transformed. And then you have eyes to see and ears to, to hear as you move on to perfection. And now when you see, you weep. You know why? Because all our brothers and sisters who are at the baby face, where they see, covet, take, and hopefully they repent, but sometimes they never repent. See, that's the way of righteousness, which we move on to perfection. It's 
beautiful to be a baby in Christ, but we don't stay babies in Christ. Remember, to put aside the elementary things. Most people never put aside the elementary things because they want to stay in the elementary things. But the remnant, to move on to perfection, it's also a choice. Now, all of a sudden, those things aren't going to be a problem anymore. Remember, Satan's a fisherman too. You see Christians where Satan on the lure, you know, like you go fishing and you put like a worm on there and you, the, the, the fish bites the worm and then the, you catch the fish. But what is it that Satan puts on the hook? He can put the strippers on there. He can put the money on there. He can put the pornography on there. He can put the crack on there. He can put the cocaine on there. He can put Mary on there. He can put Buddha on there. He can put anything on there. And Christians, they take the bait. You see? The remnant. Even among the remnant. Not all. Even the remnant takes the bait. But the deadly, they weep because they see all these Christians, they're taking the bait. The way of righteousness isn't just, you know, it, 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 understand that there is maturity involved. And Satan doesn't want that to happen. You see? Remember Paul? Remember Paul when he's in prison? Only Dr. Luke is with me. Demas has left. Bright lights, big city. What lure did Satan use to capture Demas? The riches. Land of opportunity. Oh, look, the opportunity over here. I'm going over there. Bye, Paul. Hello, riches. You see? Demas. The choice of Demas. It's hardcore. You know, sometimes we look at Joshua 7 and we consider Achan and his impact. It's like, wow, you know, the fall of Achan, the sin of Achan. But it's deep. For Israel, for the church, it is deep. Remember, we got 36 wives with no husband. 36 kids, you know, maybe 70 kids, depending on, you know, how many kids. No dad. 3,000 warriors ran away afraid. Flee. Less 36. And Achan, when he explains his deed in verse 21... He says, I saw among the spoils. I saw. And then he says, I coveted. And then he says, I took. You see? And then he explains. He says in verse 21, and there they are. Hidden in the earth. He buried them. You see? And this reveals even more. Achan knew it was evil. Sometimes you hear 
Pastors. I'm doing my air quotes. Sometimes you hear pastor making excuse for Aiken. Well, Aiken didn't know. Aiken didn't know the depths of what he was doing. And, you know, oh, God is loving and we have to have compassion. And Aiken didn't know that. He knew. He knew. He hid them in the earth. He knew it was evil. Why? If it wasn't evil, why hide them? Why not leave it out in the open? Why not, you know, have everything right there on the kitchen table? Oh, look, you know, got all this stuff. Look, you know, God is good. Hashtag blessed. Men today, women too. Oh, I didn't know it was bad. Well, if you didn't know it was bad, why hide it? Why the secrets, oh man? Sometimes you hear men, they're, they're very sorry, but they're only sorry because they've been caught. Had they not been caught, it would have gotten deeper and deeper, wicked, wicked, it would have just got worse. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Look, I repented before the Lord. Look, everything is good to go. Let's go back to normal. No, no, no. Normal's gone, my friend. You see? So many times men, 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 men. I love you, my brothers in Christ. I love you. But we're never called to be stupid. We're called to be loving. We're called to be gracious. We're called to be merciful. We're called to be forgiving. But the Bible never says, hey, you're called to be stupid. And so many times, men, they do their sex, they do their drugs, they do whatever it is. Strippers over here, casino over here, Buddha over here, tax cheat over here. Oh, look, God is love, God is love. Then they get discovered, usually the wife. And the husband's like super like apologetic. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, look, baby, look, I got you these flowers. Look, I get you some chocolates. Oh, look, I'm sorry. Look, I've repented before the Lord. And oh, the Bible says you have to forgive. Now you have the guilt trippers. Oh, the Bible says you got to forgive me. Let's go back to how things used to be. No, 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 no. Those days are over. Oh, but I didn't know. I didn't know. Okay. If you didn't know, very, very valid excuse. But is it an excuse? Because if you didn't know, why did you hide it? Why did you do all these things in secret? Why all the secrets? You see? I mean, if the evil is truly unknown, I could ask, you know, oh, how's your day going? And then a person can respond, well, I did some crack, I saw the strippers, I went to the casino, I spent some time with the prostitutes, and, you know, of course, would have to get you cleaned up at that point. Make sure you're right with the Lord, and you're still going to reap what you have sown. Absolutely. But 99.99992% of the time, I didn't know is an excuse. Because it was hidden. No conviction of the Holy Spirit reveals something else. Which the end result is death by fire. Just like we see in Joshua chapter 7. Death by fire. Oh, but I have the Spirit. Okay, that also reveals something. That you're quenching the Spirit. Which the Word of God says, do not quench the Spirit. Which is, to extinguish the spirit. Don't do that, the Bible says. Oh, you're so judgmental. You're so mean. You're not loving. Listen, 
when the formula is right. In a man or even in a woman. Now, pastoral overseer speaking, like a pastor or elder, must be male. But when the formula is right, it's better to be judged by man than it is by Jesus. You see? Because such a person will also get you cleaned up in service to his master. But today we have churches on every street corner. Oh, you're so judgmental. You're so mean. Look, we're called to be loving. We're called to be loving. We're called to be gracious. We're called to be merciful. We're called to be so full of love because God is love. And you want to call me on the sex? You want to call me on the crack? You want to call me on the prostitutes? I'm just going to go over here across the street to this church. The pastor will make me feel good about myself, my life choices. Because look, we're doing life together, you know, nice emergent church lingo. Let's do life together. See? Oh, look, we put the Bible to the side and we're reading, you know, this saddleback material. See? Rick Warren, emergent church. Oh, look, we're going to lose weight. Do the Daniel plan. Look, he's a nice and good. I'm going to be healthy in this world. Because my body's a temple. You know, I got to be nice and healthy. Daniel plan. Nice, healthy body. But an ugly, disgusting, wicked heart. Wicked mind. You see? This is devastating. What's happening in Israel? But it doesn't just end there. What about the church? Remember, Joshua said to Achan, he says, make confession unto God. Make confession to God. But you know what's sad again? We don't see that in Achan. I mean, the day before when the command was given, you know, uh, 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 consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. Just consider what Achan could have done. And Joshua just, just freshly told him the next day, what, just consider what Achan could have done the night before. But now that Achan is caught, Joshua says to make confession to God, but we don't see that in Achan. You see? You caught me. It was me. I've sinned against God. But where's the brokenness? Where's repenting? Achan does not make confession to God. All these moments, all these opportunities where Achan could have been right before the Lord and he refused You say, oh my goodness, this is terrible. This is sad. For Israel, it's sad. It was sad for this study. But you know what? We still see the heart of Achan today inside the church. The heart of Achan. People who are sorry. Not being broken before the Lord, but sorry because they were caught. 
Remember, Israel suffered defeat. Here in chapter 7, Israel suffered defeat by the little guys, i.e. 3,000 3, ran in defeat. Less 36. Those were casualties. They died. Because of one man, Achan. What about church today? One man? No. Practically all men. In the area of sexual sin, pornography, prostitution, strippers. One man? Compromised? Hmm, practically all. Oh, I believed in the finished work of the cross. I believe in the finished work of the cross, people will say. You're so judgmental. I believed in the finished work of the cross. He's not done. The Lord's not done. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He's not done. You see? Look at Achan. No confession before the Lord. When Joshua told him, you know, make confession to God. But he doesn't do that. He says in verse 21, and there they are hidden in the earth. So he knew. Why hide them? If he didn't know, why hide them? Why not just lay them out on the kitchen table? Hey, look. Hey, wife, I got your nice dress. You know, look, kids, look, this is nice and good for us. And look, I got this. It's good for my portfolio. It's good for this. And this is, you know, for your future. This is, you know, your college education, kids. And look, when I die, this is going to be good for you. It's going to cross over. It's going to pass for you too. This is going to be part of our assets. Because look, family is everything. Family is everything. Let's put God aside, but family is everything. You see the stupidity of Achan? He says, and there they are hidden in the earth, in the midst of my tent, with the silver under it. Wow. In verse 22, so Joshua sent messengers. Remember, Israel is in a state of being accursed right now. 36 men are dead because of one man. And Joshua knows the camp must be clean. Joshua sent messengers in verse 22, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver under it. And they took for them, and they and they took them from the midst of the tent. So the messengers retrieved the items, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. Everything is Fully exposed now, laid out before the Lord. Everything the Lord knew it was already laid out before the Lord. Verse 1 the Lord knew, the Lord saw. He knows the condition of the heart, He sees the mind, He sees the heart. The Lord knew. Verse 1 the Lord knew everything. Joshua didn't know, Israel didn't know, Judah didn't know, wife and kids didn't know. Achan knew, and the Lord knew. But now, in verse 23, everything is fully exposed. Picture the wives, the, the, uh, the widows now. Dead husbands. Picture the widows. My husband's dead 
because of this guy, because of Aiken. My husband is dead because of this. Picture the kids, maybe some teenagers. Even the young kids, but they might not understand fully and completely. But picture the teenagers. 15-year-old boy, 15-year-old girl. My dad is dead because of this guy? You see? Picture the other warriors. Picture them. If you've ever been in a team of guys, warriors, carnally speaking, that's a very unique brotherhood. Very unique, very tight brotherhood. I mean, one casualty is deeper than devastating. You would rather be dead. And we don't, we don't just have one guy who's a casualty. We have 36 casualties because of this guy. Everything's fine and dandy in his tent. Playing video games in his tent. Watching his shows, his movies in his tent. Making posts on social media. Hashtag, hashtag blessed. And our guy is dead. You think about the intimacy of a brotherhood of warriors. We suffered 36 casualties. I mean, just one is more than enough. But 36? Because of this guy? Who doesn't fear the Lord? Or revere him? After all we've been through, think of the entire camp. We're in the fulfillment stage, the fulfillment days of promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our people. We've been in captivity. We've been in the wilderness. Our parents are dead. The Lord made himself known. He's given us the law, and yeah, first, you know, the, 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 we had the golden calf in our history too, but then the Lord cleaned house, and look at all we've been through. And this guy has no fear of the Lord after all we've been through, and not just that, like, we're in the promised land, we've passed the Jericho, we're in the land of milk and honey. All of this to suffer defeat? Because of this guy? Wives, my husband is dead because of this guy? Kids, my dad is dead because of this guy? Think of the, think of the impact on the camp. You see? And so we see here in verse 24, then Joshua and all the all and all Israel with him took Achan or seized Achan, the son of Zerah. Parenting matters. You know, we say leadership matters and leadership absolutely matters. But don't forget leadership in the home. Parenting matters. The son of Zerah. They seized Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver. Now they see Achan with the items, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold. You see? And there's more, and it's devastating. His sons, his daughters. 
Oh. Those influenced by Achan are seized. His sons and his daughters. Oh my goodness. I mean, it's one thing to seize Achan. It's another thing to seize the silver. It's another thing to seize the garment. It's another thing to seize the gold. But the sons, the daughters, You see? Can we really say hashtag blessed anymore? Remember Achan? Not a care in the world. Just the previous day the command was given. You know, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. And what did Achan do? When he could have just right there began the process of consecration and cleanliness before the Lord according to the law. I'm not advocating the law, but it was there. Torah is written. And now look at the heavy price. It's not just the accursed things. It's not just Achan. Now it's the sons. Now it's the daughters. Whoa. His oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, everything was seized. And they brought them to the valley of Accor. This translates as the valley of trouble, the valley of disturbance, and the valley of affliction. Look at the impact that one man's choice had on the camp of Israel. Not just defeat, casualties. Israel became accursed because of Achan. See? And Joshua said in verse 25, Why have you troubled us? Remember, he's speaking to Achan. Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day, or the Lord will afflict you this day. Not tomorrow, not next year, not next decade. Right now, Achan. The Lord will afflict you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones. You know, a lot of non-believers. Oh, you believe in stoning. You believe in stoning. You believe the Bible. You believe in stoning. Listen, there's only one who is qualified to cast stones. His name is Jesus Christ. And today he doesn't cast stones. He's the only one who's qualified to cast stones, but he doesn't cast stones because the door of mercy and grace is open today. He doesn't cast stones, but fire is in play. You see? And it is coming. Now, if you're listening, you're not a believer, you're a non-believer, or even if you're playing games with the Lord, listen, don't play games with them. You commit your life to Jesus Christ right now. Hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. You commit your life to Christ. You come back and we listen, we grow together. Aching, not a care in the world. Now, it comes at a cost. Not just for him. His sons, his daughters. 
So all Israel, in verse 25, stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire. They stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. You see, Achan and his family. Kids pay because of dumb dad. Stupid dad. Sons pay. Stupid dad. Daughters pay. You say, well, you're too, you're too, you're too severe. I can't believe you're saying that. You're, you're way too severe. Come on, we're called to be gracious. We're called to be merciful. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever talked to a child of a broken home? You talk to a child of a broken home. They're destroyed. Their world is destroyed. How? Good old mom, good old dad. You see? And with the choices of the parents, choices of parents, it trickles down to the kids. Both good and bad. Mom and dad, you make good choices that honor the Lord? Well, it trickles to your kids. Mom and dad, you make bad choices before the Lord? Well, it also trickles down to your kids. In the case of Achan, dead sons, dead daughters, dead dad. Why? Because of dumb dad when he was living. No fear of the Lord. Israel was accursed because of him, Achan. All these opportunities for Achan to be right with the Lord. And he didn't do it. Oh, you know, once saved, I was saved. I'm good to go. Once saved, I was saved. Everything is fine and dandy. Where did he conjure in his mind that everything was fine to take a vehicle? Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know that this this was bad. Well, you hit it. If you didn't know, it'd be out on the it'd be on the kitchen table. If you didn't know, you knew Achan. You see? Look at his. He's so blasé about it. I mean, in verse 20, when Joshua is pleading with like, tell me, my son. He says in verse 20, indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. I saw the spoils. I saw the garment. I saw the silver. I saw the gold. I coveted them, and I took them. There they are, hidden in the earth, in the midst of my tent with silver under it. I mean, we just looked at and studied the brokenness of Joshua and the elders. You don't, you don't see that brokenness in Achan. It's kind of like blasé, yeah. I got the items there in my tent. Hashtag blessed. Once saved, always saved. Now look. Dead Achan. Dead sons. Dead daughters. A heavy cost. But don't forget the 36 casualties. The 36 dead among the warriors. Don't forget the wives without husbands. Don't forget the kids without dads. Don't forget the defeat. Don't forget the accursing of Israel because of one man. What about the church? 
a church of 50, we'll say. And of that 50, say there's 20 men. I'll say there's 10 men. They got a lot of kids. 10 men. What's going on in the mind? What's going on in the heart? Is it clean before the Lord? Remember, only the clean can clean. Only the clean can clean. Who is the pastor? Is the formula right? Does new wine flow from him when he teaches? Formula, formula, formula. It's not a social club. It's not like, you know, look, there's 500 people in this church and 500 people speak in tongues. This baby says Gugu Gaga. Everybody says oh, she's speaking in tongues. No, that ain't tongues. That's Gugu Gaga. Don't blaspheme the spirit by saying, oh, you know, they, oh, Gugu Gaga is the Holy Spirit. No, 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 no. That's baby talk. And is there order in the fellowship? See, leadership matters. In this example, we say 10 guys, but what about the, the wives now? What's going on in the minds of the women? Me personally, I think women are bigger pigs than men. That's just me personally. We won't get into it, but I think women are bigger pigs than men. Sexually. What's going on in their mind? What's going on in their heart? You see? Who is the pastor? Who are the elders? To shepherd them. To teach them, men, this isn't good. Women, this isn't good. And of the women, who is the godly woman? Who are the godly women who are examples? Women teaching other women. You see? Just like we see in Chloe. Where are the Pauls of our day? Where are the Timothys of our day? Where are the Chloes of our day? Where are the... Uh, 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 Chloe's of our day and where the Phoebe's of our day. You see? It breaks my heart. Look at in verse 25, so all Israel stoned him with stones and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Now they're burned. In verse 26, then they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day. Remember, God is reactionary. We see here, so the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. You see, so he relents now. He relents now. Remember, he said to Joshua in chapter 1, I'm with you. Chapter 7, I'm not with you. Israel is clean now. No, the Lord says, I'm with you. You see, formula. And only the clean can clean. Therefore, the name of that place has been called... uh, 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 Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Accor to this day. It's so simple. You see, in this formula, you know, 
the Lord says, you know, I'm with you. Chapter one, I'm with you. Chapter seven, I'm not with you. But for a reason, he is reactionary for a reason because of the sin of one man, which defiled the entire camp. And now when Israel is clean again, the Lord relents from the fierceness of his anger. You see, the Calvinist and the Reformed theology or theory person will say, God has mercy on whom he has mercy. God has mercy on whom he has mercy. Which it is written that, yes, God has mercy on whom he has mercy. Jacob beloved Esau he hated. He has mercy on whom he has mercy. But don't forget the other it is also written. Because Esau was a fornicator at heart. Don't forget. And in having these conversations with the Calvinists and Reformed, they say, well, he is sovereign. It is impossible to fathom his ways. He predestines people to heaven and he predestines people to hell. But don't forget, God is reactionary. Don't forget that Achan is second generation. I agree that it is, it is impossible to fathom his ways, but for the unbelieving. Because it is also written that the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plans to his servants. That's in Amos chapter 3 verse 7. The sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plans to his servants. You see, this is a very sobering chapter. Israel suffered defeat and casualties for a reason. It was Achan's choice. Achan's kids, Achan's sons, Achan's daughters, dead, stoned, burned. Now, I have something to say to kids, my younger brothers, my younger sisters in Christ. Kids who are under their parents' home. Now, when I say kids, you know, under age 18, if you're like 30 and you're under your parents' home, it's like, okay, time to move away. But for children, 10, 13, maybe 9 years old, 8 years old, however young, however old, you might be 15, 16. You, my beautiful brother, my beautiful sister, you must make the distinction and understand the formula. Because in your heart, when you align yourself with the Lord, you can only do that for yourself. And you're going to see in your very home, that might not happen with brothers. It might not happen with sisters. Carnally speaking, you know, biological, it might not happen with your siblings. It might not happen with mom. It might not happen with dad, but it's happening with you. Where you are aligning yourself to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and yielding to the spirit and the spirit leads in his word and you're Aligning yourself to the word of God, which became flesh in your fear of the Lord and your love of the Lord. But that's very personal. Mom might not do that. Dad might not do that. They might think they're doing it, but then you're going to see the fruit. You must make the distinction. Understand the formula. And submit yourself to your parents only, 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 only when they themselves are in submission to Jesus Christ. See, outside of that, it's not safe. Mom and dad want to be crazy and you submit to them in their craziness. Now it's bad for you. 
You see? The same with wives. For my beautiful sisters in Christ, married. The text of Joshua 7 doesn't indicate doesn't indicate that Achan's wife is burned. I'm hopeful that she's not burned. I'm hopeful that she wasn't stoned, that she wasn't burned. There's no indication from the text that she was, and I'm hopeful. And yes, the Bible tells wives to submit to your husband. Foolish pastors today teach this blindly. The formula in your husband must be right. And it is beautiful and godly and holy to submit to husband only, 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 only when he himself is in submission to Jesus Christ. He must be in submission to Jesus, the better husband. You see? If he's not, do not submit to him. You see? Now, the Bible says, you know, and I say, well, you know, my, my husband's not, you know, in submission to Jesus Christ, so I'm going to get a divorce, you know, irreconcilable differences. No, it doesn't work that way. The only way it does work that way is if husband is not in submission to Jesus Christ and, you know, uh, uh, sexual sin. Sexual sin, that's the only way where divorce is permissible. And when that, ha- if that happens, you know, wife, you have... You know, your decision to divorce or stay married, that is on you. Sometimes pastors like to give guilt trips to the wife. Oh, God hates divorce, so don't get divorced. And then all of a sudden, you know, the wife says, okay, I'm going to stay married, stays married, and everything is just a mess. A mess. Because husband was only sorry because he was caught. No repentance before the Lord. Repentance before man, but no repentance before the Lord. And it just becomes worse and worse and worse. The problems augment, augment, the kids suffer. It's just a huge mess. The worst is when it's in ministry. When it's in the home of elders, when it's in the home of pastors. But the Bible gives indication, gives us the formula of what the pastors and teachers and elders and bishops and deacons The Bible gives us the formula. The problem is, it's never taught. See? Wives, it is a beautiful thing to submit to your husband only, 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 only when he himself is in submission to Jesus Christ, the real Jesus whose word is above his name. Not submission to Jesus and he says, oh, I got my study Bible and I'm going to take the mark of the beast and still be saved. No, that's another Jesus. That's an imposter Jesus. Not the imposter Christ who says that, you know, God is done with Israel. The imposter Christ that says, come on, let's go lay on the graves. We're going to go grave soaking. Jesus Christ, the real Jesus, warns us there will be other Christs in the last days. People saying, oh, look, he's over here. He's over there. And Jesus says, don't go there. People, quote unquote, testifying. Oh, Jesus is here. Jesus is there. But the real Jesus, whose word is above his name, says, don't you dare go. You see? We emphasize and stress heavily formula. 
formula, formula for a reason. You see? To my beautiful sisters in Christ, wives, if your earthly husband is aching, do not submit yourself. But live in submission to our greater husband. His name is Jesus, son of the most high God. You see, the greater husband. Earthly husband is just a vapor. You see, and pray. It's not to get a divorce. The Bible says you hold on to your husband, you hold on to your kids. Your body's like a cross. You are in submission to Jesus Christ. You got the husband in one hand, the kids in the other hand, and you know what happens. In so doing, you save your kids and you can save your husband. You see? It's beautiful. The Lord gives us all his, his formula for life and living. He teaches us. He shows us. You see? Chapter 7 breaks my heart of Joshua. Breaks, breaks, breaks my heart. But at the same time, it also gives me great, great hope. Because when this is understood, the, the impact of sin in the entire camp, it helps us grow and mature in Christ. But it must be taught. It must be explained. So that people can know. And once they know, okay, ball's in your court. People make their choice to honor the Lord or dishonor the Lord. Hopefully to honor the Lord, but to dishonor the Lord, okay, there's other things in play too. For the pastor, for the shepherd, for the overseer, for the pastors, for the deacons, for the elders, for the bishops, for the deacons. There's other rules in play where when this happens, okay, this is the response in accordance to the word of God. He teaches us. Remember, only the clean can clean. We're going to end our study here. Lord willing, pick up next week in chapter 8. But to the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days, God bless you. I love you.